1: Chicots y Chicotas, como stem. This is Chris coming to you from Barcelona where the shit is hitting the fan. Seems like the shit is hitting the fan everywhere. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I used to uh, sort of lament how boring life was. Nothing ever seemed to be happening. Fuck, I could use some of that boredom right now. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm here in Barcelona. Uh, this episode, before I, I start yammering and forget, is uh, with Amy Baldwin, who's a sex educator. Really cool woman, really smart and funny and relaxed. And I hope no one minds my saying sexy as hell. So if I, I don't know if I come across as creepy in this episode. I hope not. I could probably come across as creepy in just about any episode, but uh, I think there's a an unusually high creep factor in this one. So if you are creeped out by um, marginal creepiness, you might want to skip this one because I am marginally creepy on an average day. Creep is an interesting thing to be accused of. It's an interesting crime uh, because, I think it kind of fits. It's in there with, like, um, uh, cradle robber, home wrecker, gold digger, uh, you know, cougar. I don't, although cougar now, Cougar. I'm not sure if cougar is pejorative or celebratory. But, um, you know, there's a lot of this moralistic condemnation of any expression of... Uh, is uh, libido or or erotic vitality in people uh, deemed to be inappropriate so um, you know you don't even really have to do anything offensive you just have to be a certain person expressing an interest in being alive sexually and you're deemed to be creepy or um yeah A grave, uh, not a grave, grave robber, (laughs) a cradle robber. Necrophilia is creepy. I'm with you on that one. Um, But it's an interesting thing, this whole creepiness, you know, because uh, essentially any unwanted sexual interest being expressed, no matter how subtly or um uh, you know we could say appropriately from a man over i don't know if there's an age cut off maybe over 40 or 50 or something or maybe it's a a multiple of the age of the woman in question or whatever it is uh it's creepy and um and that's weird because uh, the way I look at it, the people I know who are, I, I read uh, in the Huffington Post or something, I saw a, a headline from someone, it might have been Susan Sarandon, uh, or maybe I'm just fantasizing that it was Susan Sarandon, but it, it was some actress in her 50s or 60s who said, um, you know, I intend to be sexually uh, awakened and alive until I'm dead. And I thought, well, that's kind of the definition of dead as far as I'm concerned. Now, there are plenty of people in their 30s or 40s or 50s who have just thrown in the towel in terms of their erotic lives. They're done either because of the configuration of their marriage or they're just it's too much trouble or they're depressed or, you know, whatever. They're not they're just not feeling it. So they just say, okay, that part of my life's over. I'm not going to deal with it. And I guess that's uh, a decision people can make. You know, there's a spectrum of libido and, and how important sexuality is to, to different people. Um, but speaking for myself, the day that I'm not sexually alive, which, you know, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean there's anyone else involved uh, other than in my imagination. But um the day that that's not part of my life is probably going to be about the last day of my life. Cause to me, that's a very central part of being alive. It's, it's like any other basic essential hunger, the hunger for food. If you, if you're not enjoying food or, or the, the, the enjoyment of breathing, you know, there it's one of these very essential bedrock qualities of being alive so the creepiness thing which is a very american um cultural phenomenon i find to be particularly uh pernicious because it's basically saying you don't have the right to be alive you're too ugly to be alive you're too old to be alive you're too married to be alive you don't have enough money to be alive Whatever it is, uh, there's something really evil. And in my reading anyway, very uh, strikes very close to the heart of what it means to be alive. And um, yeah, so speaking of creeps, I guess there's a sort of a natural segue here into Anthony Weiner. And I've been thinking about his... Situation. The guy just got sentenced to 23 months in prison uh, for um, sending sexually explicit text messages to a minor. So, look, there's no question that Anthony Weiner has some issues. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, What are the issues? Is he a sex addict? Is there such a thing as sex addiction? Personally, I don't think there is. I think that there is addictive behavior that expresses itself in a variety of different ways that could involve alcohol. It could involve gambling. It could involve masturbation. It could involve uh, washing of hands. It could involve um, eating donuts. It could involve uh, video games. So it's one of these things that can manifest in many different ways. And I think we make the mistake of locating the problem in the substance rather than looking at the person him or herself and, and trying to figure out what hole in them is being temporarily not filled, but sort of covered over by this behavior. Uh, I think that uh, pretty much always we're going to find that addictive behavior is a response to something, some deep suffering. I think it was uh, Gabor Mate on this podcast who said that uh, addiction is not a problem. Addiction is the person's attempt to solve a problem. And so by focusing our, our attention on, Whatever almost arbitrary method the person is using to distract themselves from the problem, we're missing the problem itself. Um, But that's another discussion. What I wanted to say about Anthony Weiner is that um, while I would certainly agree that, you know, 45 year old men shouldn't be sending pictures of their dicks to 15 year old girls. I. I don't know that it really matters. In And let me explain. Uh, first of all, the 15-year-old girl contacted him. And again, I'm not an expert on this. I've read one or two articles that sort of outlined the situation. Apparently, she contacted him. She initiated the flirtation and blah, blah, blah. Now, you can say, Chris, are you blaming the victim? I'm not blaming the victim. I'm just saying... He's not trolling around looking for 15-year-old girls to show his dick to. But even if he were, even if he were, 15-year-old girls have access to the Internet, and any 15-year-old girl with access to the Internet has seen dicks. So now we might say, oh, that's a tragedy. These poor girls... Yeah. Why is that a tragedy? I mean, as I've said many times on this podcast, don't send unsolicited dick pics because your dick's ugly. Dicks are ugly. They just are. Unless you're and you know, you're drunk, you're lust drunk and you're into men. Nobody wants to see your dick. It's just a fucking thing hanging off your body and it's got the balls and it's not a beautiful thing. It's just not. I mean, you know, breasts can be really beautiful. Rodin did many beautiful sculptures, Michelangelo, beautiful sculptures of bodies. And and there are many parts of the body that are very beautiful. The dick isn't one of them. That's why David had such a little dick in ancient Greece. You know, the veneration of the body. It was not about the big cock. It was about the small cock, the small cock, because that thing's not beautiful. So make it as small as possible and just sort of ignore it. Now you might think that I'm I'm dick shaming, but I'm not. I'm a I'm a dicked American. I have a right to say these things. My dick's not beautiful either. Nobody's dick is beautiful unless you're incredibly horny. You're into dicks. It's erect, and you're like, get that thing in me. Then it might be kind of semi beautiful. But you you know do to do, do. You go into the store, and suddenly some guy's showing you his dick. Then that, now that's not beautiful. Nobody wants to see that. Um, it's, it's the aesthetic equivalent of somebody with a 16 year old poodle taking a shit on the sidewalk. Yeah. I don't want to see that, but is it a crime? Should you go to prison? Sometimes I want to send that fucking poodle to prison. Cause that's so fucking disgusting. The little shaky poodle taking a tiny little turd out of its ass on the sidewalk, but uh, it's not a crime. It's just Gross. So I don't know. I don't really I don't really see why Anthony Weiner needs to go to prison because he sent a picture of his dick to this girl. Now, I can certainly understand why the the girl's father might want to kick his ass. I can certainly understand why there might be some public shaming involved. I can understand why he might be voted out of office because His constituents are like, Anthony, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? That's gross. Um, But I don't really understand why it's a crime. Because for it to be considered a crime, we need to agree that this girl was damaged, traumatized by the image of a guy's dick. So a picture a picture reached out to her, through her phone into her brain, and really fucked her up. How does that happen? How does a picture of a piece of a human body, albeit admittedly probably a pretty ugly piece of a pretty scrawny, ugly human body, but aren't they all kind of scrawny and ugly when you get right down to it? Um, anyway... How does that do serious damage to a human being? I don't get it. It's just a body. Um, I'd be more traumatized if an amputee sent me a picture of their their stump. And still, would that be a crime or someone who a, a burn survivor sends me a picture of their burned up face? That's that's frightening. And I say this with all respect and sympathy to burn survivors. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't mean to condemn anyone for having suffered. But what I'm saying is, those are traumatizing images. Picture of someone's dick, it's just a fucking dick. Tits are tits. Dicks are dicks. Porn is people fucking. What's the big deal? I don't get it. Send me a picture of, a, of a, a kid with half his face blown off by a landmine that we left behind in Cambodia or, or that are all over strewn around Mozambique. And kid, you know, People who have been really deeply hurt. That's traumatizing, but that's not a crime. Pictures of starving children in Ethiopia. We see those on TV all the time when they're trying to raise money for some you know, ONG that's probably stealing half the money. That's not a crime. Those images stay in my head for days. But a dick? Who cares? Who cares? Oh, Anthony Weiner sent a picture of his foot out. Oh, oh my God, Anthony Weiner's foot. Who gives a shit? I, I just don't understand. Anyway, so Anthony Weiner's going to prison for two years because he sent a picture of a part of his body to a 15-year-old girl who will never be the same. Yeah. Uh... So I'm sitting in the apartment where I wrote Sex at Dawn together with Casilda in Barcelona, Pueblo Seco. We are in the process of packing everything up, throwing a lot of stuff away, giving everything to friends, preparing to rent the place out long term. If anybody wants to come and live in Barcelona in our beautiful apartment, let me know. We'll put you in touch with the agency. Uh it's in a beautiful place pueblo seco great neighborhood really like it here have a lot of great memories it's a very special place we uh i don't think i've ever told the story of how this place came together but maybe I'll, i'll do that in aroma i'll save that for uh aroma that I'll do soon because it's kind of a long story and I don't want to take up Amy's time. Anyway um, that's where I am. Uh, yesterday was a general strike in Barcelona demonstrations all over the place for Catalan independence. A lot of people are asking me for my opinion uh, again I'm not a great expert I've lived here off and on for 25 years so I know the story I know about the history. Uh, my ex-father-in-law was a real Catalan independent uh, independence guy so I heard him ranting and raving about it for years, but uh, I don't have a strong opinion either way. Uh, You know, in general, it kind of feels like the smaller the scale, the more responsive the government needs to be to the voters. So in that sense, uh, I'm pretty much for local representation. Localized representation seems to me to be a good thing. So, Um, I guess, I guess I'm kind of in favor of it, but, uh, on the other hand, it's very complicated because, uh, you know, Spain is a country and the other parts of Spain, it seems to me have a right to say, well, no, we don't want you to leave. And actually, I think if everyone who lived here had to vote it would be maybe 20 to 30% who would be in favor of separating. So it's been used as a cover because the, um, there was a party here. Uh, I think it's, uh, Convergencia Union, which is, um, the sort of pro Catalan party that ruled here for years. Jordi Pujol was the, the, uh, leader of that party for years. And, Uh, they recently lost power. And then when they lost power, they lost control of investigations. And so the investigation started looking into them and they found massive corruption. They'd been stealing lots of money for a long time. Pujol's kids were all stealing money and, you know, typical political corruption. And so what they did was they... Changed the name of the party. They got rid of the people at the top. They put new people in and they rebranded. And now they have some other name. I forget what they're called. But and they became the the loudest voice for independence. So this whole independence thing is largely fueled by this. Political groups interest in distracting attention away from their decades of corruption and stealing. Uh, from the people in order to, uh, you know, get them all excited about Madrid, Madrid's the enemy, not us. We've been stealing from you forever, but Ooh, those people in Madrid, they're the worst. So, you know, like most political bullshit, it's based on corruption and, and, uh, you know, it's like a magician who's attracts your attention to one hand while the other hand is doing preparing the trick and so that's what's going on here i think what'll happen i don't know i have no idea what'll happen um but it's kind of a mess in any case i'm done i've been based in barcelona for a large part of my adult life um when i got here it was late 1989 i was on my way somewhere else uh maybe i'll do a toma about that I'm just making a note. I'll do a tome about that. The Piso and my arrival in Barcelona. I was on my way somewhere else, and I basically got robbed in the Ramblas. And then while I was waiting for a new passport, somebody offered me a job. And, and uh, one thing led to another, and my whole fucking life happened here. So, But it's the, this period's over. I don't want to live here anymore. It's The city's changed a lot. It's still a beautiful place, but if I'm going to live in Spain, there are other parts of Spain I'd rather live in. So, uh, that's my my two cents on the Catalan thing. Basically, I don't know. Good luck. Uh, on my way here, I had an interesting experience. Flew from L.A. to Phoenix. My flight from Phoenix was delayed. Got to London Heathrow, where I was supposed to connect to a flight to Amsterdam. Missed that flight because of the delay. Had to wait in line for a long time to rebook. Anyway, I go, I have to go through security again. I'm going through security and they want to like look through my bag. I don't have any check bags, just carry on. So they run it through the machine. They're like, okay, we got to look through this. Okay, fine, look through it. And they look through it and then they do one of those swab things and they take it over to the machine. And then I see the woman walk away and I'm just standing there and. Then I see her say something to a supervisor, and the supervisor says, Yeah, we'll try that other machine. And she goes over to the other machine, and then the two of them come over, and the supervisor says, uh, Can I see your passport and uh, boarding pass? I say, Sure. He says, um, Please come with me. And he takes me aside, and he says, Yeah, we have to have a conversation. And I'm like, Okay. He says, um, What do you do for a living? Now, what am I going to say? Oh, I'm a podcaster. I said, uh, "I'm a writer, and he said, "Do you have any hobbies? Hobbies. I mean, I don't hobbies? What, what kind of, I don't know. what kind of hobbies." He says, Well, like, you hunt?" I said, "No." He says, you, um, "You like to garden?" I said, No, I don't garden. Do you work with animals? No, I don't really work with animals." He says, really, you don't have any hobbies. I, I do "You know. what? I, I don't know. I sleep and I jerk off. I don't know. What kind of hobbies does a guy like me have? I don't know. So he says, um, well, I have to call the police. So really? Why do you have to call the police? He said, well, we've detected nitrate on your bag, which is an explosive, an element in explosives. And you haven't given me any explanation to why you would be using nitrates. Uh, so I have to call the police, like, All right, call the police. So he calls the police and holy shit, man, these like nine police show up with like bulletproof vests and guns and like the whole cameras on their helmets and like, you know, like riot police from the future. And suddenly I'm surrounded by these police and they're like intense. And there's one guy like asking me all these questions again and again like have you ever do welding do you work with chemicals yeah blah blah, blah, blah. and and they've got the cameras on their helmets and he's like I have to record this and, you know and be a you know do you agree that you're being recorded I'm like yeah okay I'm being recorded and and, 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 and then he'll step away for a minute and then there's a, this other cop standing next to me and he's like, well, yeah, that guy gets a little intense sometimes, you know. Don't worry about it, and, you know. So, how was your flight? And I'm like, oh yeah. So you're the good cop, right? And he sort of laughs and he's like, yeah. It's like, oh, you do that too. You know, everybody does that. And he's like, yeah. Um, but uh, but it was just a weird thing. I mean, I knew that. I mean, if things can go weird. I've heard of cases where things get really weird, but um, you know, I was. 99% sure I wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna go further than this but uh still it was very strange to be surrounded by high security police and Heathrow with the people walking by looking at me like oh what's that guy might be a terrorist and I could just imagine what it would have felt like if I were black or you know brown uh or you know anything other than a middle aged white dude with short hair it could have been really fucking freaky. Anyway, that was my experience there. Finally, they got a dog. And the dog uh, sniffed my bag and was uninterested. And then they're like, oh, okay. Well, the dog says no. And the dog's name was Brian. And I said, can I get a selfie with you guys? Because people aren't going to believe this story. And they're like, "Nah, no, no pictures of us. But you can have a picture with the dog if you want. So I got a... I got a selfie with Brian. if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen my selfie at Heathrow with Brian the dog who declared me not guilty so nice. All right, I'm almost done rambling in fact, why don't I let somebody else ramble at this point? a really guy a really nice guy named Chris uh, who will introduce himself in a minute uh, works in advertising. And he uh, determined that my advertising for myself is kind of lame. I'm not very good at asking you guys to support the podcast. So he put together a little ad and uh, sent it to me and said, uh, feel free to use this if you'd like. Uh, No obligation. Very cool. So I'm going to throw this up. I think it sounds pretty cool. I'm going to throw it up. And uh, you can listen to someone else talk about why it's worthwhile to support podcast.
2: Hello, my name is Chris Rubio, and this is an unsolicited ad for Tangentially Speaking with Chris Ryan. Chris isn't comfortable making sales pitches, so I'm here to talk to you about his Patreon, because I used to be a salesman, and I'd like to contribute to the cause. I respect and appreciate the fact that Chris does an ad-free podcast. I also respect and appreciate that Chris has to pay the bills just like anyone else, so I'm completely comfortable with an ad for Chris Ryan on the Chris Ryan Podcast. With that said, here's the pitch. These are the three things that I love most about Tangentially Speaking with Chris Ryan. The first is conversation. Remember conversation? A collaborative effort during which people with different experiences and perspectives share their ideas with the intention of reaching some greater understanding. I love conversation. At least I did before we turned it into a competitive blood sport. In a world of recreational outrage, how many places can you go to get honest, reasonable conversation? We all get that from Tangentially Speaking. The second thing I love is empowerment. In my opinion, empowerment is giving people the freedom to be who they really want to be. That's exactly what we get from Roma. Chris often questions why people like Roma so much because the email answers are frequently just giving people permission to follow their hearts. I think that's exactly why we love Roma so much. The world can beat hope and adventure out of us with cynicism and judgment. I find Roma to be a safe harbor in a world of cynicism and judgment. How many places can you go to find that safe harbor? The third thing we get from Tangentially Speaking is community. Chris has remarked that every member of the community that he meets is someone he enjoys spending time with. It's a good community. I enjoy feeling like a part of that community. Honest, reasonable conversation, empowerment, and community. How much are those worth? $1 a month? $5? 10 Go to patreon.com slash tangentially speaking right now and set your own price. That's a huge value. And there's one more huge bonus. Your pledge isn't an entirely altruistic proposition. You get a little treat for yourself in the form of a neurochemical hit that comes from knowing you're making a valuable contribution to your community. So treat yourself and go by greater understanding, empowerment, community, and the rush that comes from contributing value to your community. Thank you very much. And back to Chris.
1: Why, thank you, Chris Rubio. Rubio, not Rubio. Rubio, Chris Rubio, which means Blonde. In Spanish, I wonder if you're blonde. Anyway, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and if any uh, anyone else wants to uh, throw together an ad, an MP3 explaining why you support the podcast and think others should, uh, send it my way. Why not? We'll uh, maybe we'll use some of those, make it an ongoing thing. I uh, really appreciate your uh your generosity Chris and everyone else who supports the podcast through Patreon, through the Amazon affiliate link which does not of course support the podcast but uh funds my dentistry and um my annual prostate exams and uh yeah, other things like that. Not the podcast, but those other things that then uh you know frees up money for the podcast. And uh that's it. Amy Baldwin is fantastic. If you want to see a video of this conversation, you'll find that at chrisryanphd.com under podcast, or you can go directly to tangentiallyspeaking.com. You'll see the video there on the show page. If you're a Patreon supporter, I will send you the link to the video so you don't have to go rummaging around looking for it. It'll be right there in your inbox. I'm done talking. Thank you. I'll put up another podcast in a few days. Uh, I'm late with this one because of all the traveling. I was jet lagged out of my motherfucking mind. This jet lag is hard. I think the older I get, the harder it gets. And going east is the killer, man. But I think I'm okay now. All right, that's enough of my silliness. I'm going to play you out with a tune that I really, really dig. It's called Wish I Knew You. And it's by The Revivalists. Uh, I played another song, uh, Stand Up, by them a while ago. But uh, they're a really good band. Really cool. Anyway, this is Wish I Knew You. And it's The Revivalists. And then you're going to say hi to Amy Baldwin. Thanks for listening, y'all. Oh, oh. baldwin i'm here with amy baldwin in santa cruz california california my first night in vanthropology 27 tour mm, that's what it's called it is at, oh, at the I didn't moment know I had a name. at the moment it does
3: wow <laughs> <This> <laughs> maybe i should make tour. some t-shirts yeah huh? you should you
1: know get get into this shit
3: and you had your first night in your
1: van first night cool. in the van oh you're gonna rub it in aren't you Yay. you're gonna rub it in <laughs> So uh, th- <laughs> what we're referring to is that Amy uh, came back late from, a, a, what was it, a dildo conference or uh, well, a blowjob seminar? Well, I
3: went and taught a private blowjob class to a group of women for a bachelorette party.
1: A bachelorette party. Yes. And how many women were there?
3: This one had eight people, eight women. I'm
1: just going to reclip oh, yeah. you Thanks a little me. little closer. Thanks me. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, eight women.
3: Yes. Eight women.
1: So, let, okay, let's get back to that. The the, the, the point, the, the <laughs> rubbing it in, so to speak, was that we went out and had a couple of drinks, and then Amy was falling asleep, and she took <laughs> me back to my van and said, oh, by the way, here's a bottle of lube, loser. Enjoy your first night loser. in your van. It was implied.
3: Oh, that's I an mean, exaggeration. About- <laughs> I,
1: you know, I, I thought about that afterwards, and I was thinking, like, is this... Is this like the best sort of way to end an evening with a woman or the worst? She's
3: just like, here, have, have fun with yourself. Yeah, Don't like, hey, yourself. I'm
1: going to bed. Here's some lube. It's not my problem, dude.
3: <laughs> well, the intention was for it to be a gift because, in my opinion, it's an amazing lube. It's Uber lube. And it's super
1: Uber stupid. lube? Uber,
3: they're around before the car company. Really? Yep, it's the Uber's lube. It's and a good name for it. And they're not German.
1: So. Lube, uber alles. lube. Yeah, they're so not now, German. No, they're not German. So it's not Nazi lube. <laughs>
3: no, it's not Nazi lube, exactly. It's Nazi free.
1: And <laughs> totally Nazi it's free. It's good
3: for what is the name of your tour again?
1: <laughs> vanthropology Anthropology 2017, baby. that's
3: perfect. Van life. Yeah. Because yeah, so I'm
1: an anthropologist.
3: You never know when you're going to need, need the lube and the vanthropology admission. <laughs> <laughs> can, and it works for multi-purpose, right? It's not just for sex. I, think, can use it for I think
1: you do know when you're going to need the lube, don't you? <laughs> probably, I mean, probably. You can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it coming. Uh, yeah. So of anthropology 2017.
3: Mm-hmm. Uber lube. So sponsored by Uber. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sponsored. I'm going to get a big like decal on, on the, the side, side of the van. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm looking for sponsors. Why not?
3: I'm sure they would sponsor it.
1: Yeah, come on. They're
3: pretty awesome people.
1: Coming to a town near you.
3: Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> just the, Uber, the Mobile,
1: Super slick. Ubermobile, just just slick, just sliding, sliding in. Sliding its way I can park that big old van in compact spaces. Yes, you can. <laughs> It says compact, but no problem. I
3: can squish it in.
1: Uh, We should stipulate that you're actually a sex educator, which is why we're talking this way.
3: Yes, I I do some things.
1: Children, turn off your your devices. This Mm -hmm. is a non-children episode.
3: Do you have a lot of children that listen?
1: I don't know. Occasionally, I get an email from someone who's like 14, oh. and they're like, "Hey, thank you. I love your, you know, th- it's the sex stuff that yeah, they. Yeah.
3: Oh, they're yeah. They're like, thanks, they're hungry thanks for, it. for being so honest. Hungry for it. Yeah. yeah totally.
1: So actually, kids, go you know, ahead. Weeks, listen. Yeah, just yeah. don't tell your parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not
3: liable for anything. <laughs> we're <laughs> here. not
1: liable for anything. Sign <laughs> this is... non-disclosure waiver yeah. right here. I'm gonna turn this camera up because I'm a little
4: yeah. Where are you? get in...
1: frame there. Yeah. Here we go. There we go. Now we're more centered. Uh, so this is being recorded on video for the uh, Patreon contributors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got to get better at that. I'm really bad at, you know, the, Every the, people tell me, like, you have to do this bonus content and you have to do this and do that. And, you know, this thing is only for people who contribute $20 or more per month. And this is, I just can't be bothered. So anyone who's a Patreon they contributor, even a dollar a month, Ooh. they get it. You so. get to see
3: this really sexy video of us.
1: Yeah, we're um, naked. We're
3: naked, actually. Yeah, well, so. she's naked. <laughs> I'm naked. I'm
1: wearing a goofy Hawaiian-looking shirt, but <laughs> that's the way it should be. With
3: nice fish. Is that fish. Hawaiian? I don't know.
1: I don't know. This it's
3: fishing shirt. This,
1: I was in Costa Rica with our mutual friend, Kyle Tierman. Ah, Shout out to yes, Kyle. Kyle. Thanks for set, setting this up, Kyle. Yeah,
3: thanks, Kyle.
1: Um, and uh, he was wearing the shirt, and I said, I really like that shirt. Did he give you the
3: shirt off his back?
1: He took it off his oh back and handed it to me.
3: Wow. Isn't that's that sweet? Awesome. Thank you. That, Kyle, what a guy.
1: He is yeah. literally a friend who would get, would Give and has given me back. the shirt off his back. Wow, yeah. That's awesome. yeah. Maybe well, he just didn't like it. I don't know. It's Maybe possible. he's like, yeah. No, but he <laughs> wore it a couple days in a row. Oh. So I think he I really, think he did really like liked it. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: Wow. That's a true friend. Yeah. Friend for life. He's a great guy. But yeah. Really happy that Kyle brought us together. So that's. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. You're the best. You're
1: the best, Kyle.
3: Yeah. It's always fun talking sex.
1: Anyway, so you're oh. a sex educator. Yes. Is that what you call yourself?
3: I call, yeah, so I wear mini hats. But yeah, I'm a sex educator. So I've been teaching sex ed for close to 10 years. I teach How in... How old are you? I'm 32.
1: 32. Yes. So you've been teaching sex ed since you're 22.
3: About 22, yeah. I went I went to school for psychology and human sexuality and then did a training. Have you ever heard of FICI? It stands for San Francisco Sex Information Sfissi.org, and they...
1: San Francisco Cisco Sex, sex information. So it's SSSI?
3: SFSI. San S-F-F-S-I.
1: Francisco. S-F-S-I, Siffi.
3: Sfissi, I know, it's hard. No, that's,
1: that's, <laughs> they they got to rethink that.
3: They're in, so they're in San Uber Francisco. Uber is
1: way better. Yeah, we'll
3: stick with Uber Lube. Well, this is a nonprofit profit that, that has a... Um, A anonymous call in We can call in Ask your sex questions And they'll answer your questions But they Mm. also do Trainings twice a year To train people To be sex educators And it's very um, Very in depth It's only a 60 hour training But you go there And it will pretty much Make it so that you can see And hear and talk about anything Without getting the EBGBs You know This just teaches you All about Non-judgmental Open communication At one point We had This wall Of all these different Porn clips All kinds of Like a variety of things and they said to focus on the ones that make you the most uncomfortable. So you have like your mainstream heterosexual, you know, perfect pink pussy porn. And, and then you have, you know, a little bit of bestiality in one of them. And then one of just like... Wait, wait,
1: wait, wait. A little bit of bestiality? A little bit of bestiality. What, There's like what a little bestiality a little bit, clip. bit of bestiality? Just a
3: clip of some bestiality that changes every 30 seconds.
1: Different animals?
3: Um, I don't know. I didn't focus on that one. I, when I went to... Oh, that didn't make you uncomfortable? No, because the one that made me the Ooh. most uncomfortable was this one that's just a close-up of this woman's face beautiful red lips, but she was um, really lovingly licking some feces. Ooh. So I focused on that one because mm. that one was really challenging for me.
1: Lovingly licking her. She just had turd. this like
3: this smile on her face, beautiful red lipstick, like perfect face, and just just and there, because
1: like like ice cream.
3: Yes, like ice Eww. cream. And this is and this is what I was focused on because I'm like, well, all right, you know, I'm I'm going to work with people. I now I do sex and relationship coaching as well, and I do yeah. the education. But I never know what's going to come my way. I'm not going to like literally be in the same space as someone who's going to be licking the feces unless it's on a, a film clip. But, you know, if some, some people are into that. Everyone, different strokes for different folks, you know, so.
1: Are, are there things that are objectively, from your perspective, are there things that are objectively, uh, what's the word? I don't, I don't want to say wrong, but I mean, for example, licking shit. Now, I know like rim jobs and all that. Yeah. You've both taken showers and you're all, you know, hygiene and yada, yada, yada. yada. Okay, whatever. Uh, but literally eating shit is bad for you. It's I probably mean,
3: not really great for your health because considering...
1: it's called shit. Yeah. You know?
3: <laughs> it's the waste that your body doesn't want. Exactly. <laughs> it's
1: been like all the good stuff's been processed out. Mm-hmm. There's nothing but bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, plants like it. But I mean, health wise.
3: Health wise, yeah. If you lick the wrong shit, you could you could be in a pile of shit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you could get like get really uh, yeah. hepatitis, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's I mean, crazy. my
3: my judgment for what I would see is wrong for me would be things are non consensual, like bestiality. To me, feels like we don't know what the animal. Wants like the animals. We don't know. Like oh, we don't know if the animals saying a yes or a no or what, what's going a, on if here. If a
1: dog's licking your pussy, it's saying yes. Well, that's, I mean, even if there's peanut butter involved,
3: there's the the <laughs> dog saying, "I want the snacks. <laughs> I'm hearing it for the peanut butter."
1: I mean, we do worse things to animals than oh, letting them lick our junk. You know, definitely. not that I'm advocating it, children. <laughs> This is a great
3: start for the children's episode. Here we
1: go. <laughs> Mom, I want a dog. <laughs> oh, you know, God. Dan Savage told me this really funny bestiality story uh, years ago. This he has the podcast that people call in mm-hmm. and leave messages. Yeah. So someone, uh, some guy, called in and left a message that uh, he had sex with horses, and he didn't see why that was a problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm because the horse likes it he likes it like you know everyone's happy yeah it's a win win <laughs> and so dan called him back and said look i just want to clarify this are you fucking the horse or is the horse fucking you yeah
3: that's an important piece of information
1: and there was this long pause and the guy says i'm not gay <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh no that oh my god <laughs> That's great what did Dan Savage probably had a really brilliant response for that one
1: I think he just cracked up and you know that, really you yeah. that? I, don't, I don't think he ever talked about it on his podcast okay. I don't know he told me that over drinks
3: well this is so a common thing plenty of people think that the behavior determines the orientation that's the, uh-huh. even with horses
1: uh-huh.
3: even with horses
1: right that's surprising okay so getting back to be- well we're still in bestiality yeah be- <laughs> so so consent so consent. you would say in bestiality consent now it I mean, it's a very complicated thing, animal, non-human sex. Like, Mm -hmm. I was talking with a friend about this the other day. Um, He wants to do a TV show about uh, animal sexuality and and how that sort of reflects on male sexual behavior. We were talking about orangutans. Mm. Do you know how orangutans have sex?
3: I don't
1: think so. It's very rapey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The males chase the female through the treetops. She's Mm -hmm. screaming, trying to flee. (laughs) He's twice her size. He catches her. They're super strong. Mm -hmm. And he basically fucks her. And she's screaming. And as soon as it's over, she runs away. Yeah. So we're observing that. And we say, looks like rape, Mm -hmm. right? But how do we know yeah. that's the way they do it mm-hmm. you know or cats who scream in the alley at night you know why right With
3: the razor and the barbs yeah.
1: yeah they've got these barbs on their mm-hmm. penis so yeah. like they pull out and all this it, it tears them in the blood and mm-hmm. it's like yeah horrible. Yep. But that's biologically necessary, so it's very weird getting into judgments, yeah. you know, across species, and you know, even across cultures or individuals, right?
3: I mean, who's Different to say stories. that orang- orangutans aren't playing into one big rape fantasy?
1: Exactly. She's
3: just role playing. She's running away. I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe she's just. Well, who's that's to, the,
1: that's that's the point. You can't yeah, tell from outside. Exactly.
3: And so I think that's the issue with the consent piece is we just don't know. You say my dog likes it when they lick my pussy with the peanut butter on it, but. Like we just don't know because it can't communicate and tell us like maybe it just wow. wants to do it, it but who
1: knows we know I mean,
3: it's the peanut butter man his tail's
1: wagging because <laughs> the peanut
3: butter delicious
1: exactly because <laughs> then what we're doing is we're we're superimposing our sort of moralistic perspective on the like dog like how
3: that they should necessarily like they be should, just like the way humans are because that's the standard or that everything.
1: it should be like a negative mm. right like they wouldn't want to do it in yeah. general when the dog's licking his ass and eating shit and doing all this other stuff I mean and it's yeah. like, why would we assume that that would be a problem? Yeah. I don't mean to be arguing oh, for no, totally. bestiality here. No, I, but... think,
3: I think it's a good thing to question. I mean, I, I, so I would imagine, let would say, someone was just sprawled out on the couch, the dog had never licked the pussy, they opened their legs, and the dog just takes a look and then dives right in. There's no peanut butter. The dog just decides. There. I mean, maybe in that right. regard, we could say, the dog consented. Yeah. <laughs> Sign here but was there like, and here. I mean, the peanut butter to me seems like a little bit of coercion, right? Like, <laughs> coercion or just reward <laughs> or bribing? <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know.
3: And yeah, it's it's it's, it's a it's a tricky one. It it's a tricky, tricky one. one. That, one a that one. That bestiality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how did, how the hell did we get into bestiality?
3: Well, I was talking about all the porn clips of that. that oh, training right, that I did, right. And the
1: shit eating. The shit eating right. one.
3: Yeah, that was that. And that was challenging for me. And since then, I have never. Um, run into anyone that was like, so I need to talk to you about this fetish of mine. i like to eat shit. That has not really come up. I've heard a lot of stories and seen a lot of things. So I also co-own an adult store here in Santa Cruz with my mom. It's a mother-daughter dildo shop called Pure Pleasure.
1: Mother-daughter dildo shop. It's a classy dildo shop. That's a phrase you don't hear very often. Not
3: very often. No, no. We're we're a unique one. Uh, And so there, you know, I teach workshops there, but we also have customers that come in and, um, treat us like we're their free sex therapists and want to tell us sure. all about their 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 lives, you know, all their, their sex lives, you know, trials and tribulations. Um, and through that is actually what I realized. I originally wanted to be a sex therapist, and I realized through that that I'm not really interested in the sex therapy component because I'm not really that as interested. In, fixing not fixing but working with people on their childhood wounding Mm. Um, I wanted I do it to a little bit little degree but I'm more interested in giving them the tools to get from where they are now to move forward you know where they're stuck or where's the you know the shame or the trauma or you know all that stuff that's holding them back and how can we move through that to move forward
1: but isn't the way I'm confused there because you're saying you don't want to deal with childhood traumas but you want to give them the tools to move so forward so I still go
3: into it like as part of the, like the coaching realm like we go into it if they have deep trauma I refer I would refer <coughs> out and so right. I have great, you a know, great line of therapists that I can send yes. them to and you're
1: not a licensed therapist no, right. no I'm so not a licensed therapist and
3: one of the great things about being a sex and relationship coach is that we don't have all these rules to abide by so mm-hmm. some of the practices that I use actually involve some really light over the clothes touch so and it's very like pg-13 it's not to the point of orgasm usually it's just for um more of like um an educational purpose so like people most people are really in their heads and not even their bodies when they're receiving touch and so sometimes what i'll do is i'll have them lie on my couch and just lightly you know rubbing over their clothes over their legs their arms their, their belly and just checking in with the thoughts and constantly it's this, you know, I'm not worthy. I, it's really hard to receive. Mm. I should be doing something. Maybe sometimes they'll just burst into tears. Yeah. Um, and maybe not. Sometimes they're like, no, this is great. Just keep rubbing me up. So yeah. uh, it's nice that because the body is so brilliant. The body the body is, it retains so much knowledge in, in regards to, to trauma especially, too. So the body is a really great way to also um, use as a, the educational piece for healing. So if we're just doing talk therapy, it's like we can only go so far um, when it comes to that, that kind of stuff, when it comes to sexual trauma, um, or not even just trauma, but stuckness. Um, so I really yeah. love being able to incorporate that in my practice and if I was a licensed therapist, I don't know if
1: I could. You couldn't. Yeah. yeah you're not mm-hmm. allowed to touch your clients. And
3: I'm a rule yeah. breaker. I don't like I don't want to touch mm-hmm. my clients in a non consensual way, sure. of course. But I'm a rule breaker in if I see the value in a practice but there's this board telling me that I can't use it yeah. in the practice, then I don't I'm not I'm gonna to wanna to make my own rules and create my own practice. So yeah, yeah which I think It's important. I'm a little bit of rebel. Yeah. Rebel child. You gotta be. You gotta be. You're kind of a rebel. You're definitely a rebel. (laughs) You're you're more rebel than I am.
1: (laughs) I'm just older. I've been at it longer. Yeah,
3: you got the rebel
1: You'll you'll accumulate your your trophies, your rebel trophies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I read a thing recently. uh forget who recommended. It could have been Kyle. It's fucking Kyle, man.
3: Kyle's, yeah. Like like
1: every week, I get another book in the mail that he's, you know, He's sending them to you? Yeah, it's like, (laughs) Awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's cute, but, like, um, I'm busy, Kyle. Can Kyle, you?
3: slow down, Slow Kyle.
1: it down with the books, Kyle. <laughs> anyway, somebody recommended an essay to me that... Oh, no, it was Hunter Motz, I think, it, who was on the podcast a few times. Really smart guy. Anyway, the essay was... I can't remember what it's called, but um, uh, the guy said, Okay, when we look at... Um, the past, so we look fifty years back, or a hundred years back, or medieval times, or whatever. We can see all these really obvious things that the culture had wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like fifty years ago, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. People were getting electroshock therapy to try to cure them, and now we look at that and say that's barbaric mm-hmm. and ridiculous. You know, a hundred years ago, women were too stupid to vote, and mm-hmm. you know, shouldn't and black people. You know, it's like all these advancements. Um, moving toward the obvious in many ways, uh, that people are equal and, you know, everyone has the same right to dignity and all that. Um, so his point was, if we can look at other cultures or look back at our own and see this... Um, uh, oh, god to see how that, that image got bad? It's because the sun is on the camera. Oh, I'm interesting. I'm just going to... Yeah. Um, so we can see how things... Are improving mm, perfect yeah and uh, then what can we do looking at our own day to try to figure out what we're missing mm,
3: right? based on looking at the past
1: well based on like are there sort of uh, cognitive uh, steps that we can take to recognize what it is that we're missing Mm. like you know it's like you have a blind spot right you know you have a blind spot but it's unless you know the technique you know close one eye move your finger and do that kind of stuff you can't find it right it's just invisible to you so he was saying, like, how, what can we do? What are some steps we could take to find our own cultural blind spots? So to
3: kind of look, yeah, create more awareness. You know, so right. you're saying yeah, back when women, the thought was women were too stupid to vote. Everyone literally believed that. Well, yeah, so not, everyone, not everyone, but, but yeah, a lot of people yeah, did, and yeah. they didn't have the awareness to even to think question. Other, it. Yeah. Right.
1: Oh. So one of the there were several different things, but the one that always that I remember most clearly is he said. Always focus on the thing, the taboos, Mm. talk about the things that aren't talked about, the Mm. things that people are afraid to discuss, Mm -hmm. because that's where you're going to find that's where the culture is going to move forward. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So the kind of work you're doing is really important, I think, Yeah. you know, bringing the Dan Savage and other people are like, hey, you know, let's talk about this stuff. Yeah. Because when you don't talk about it, it allows all sorts of ignorance and shame to cloak some really nasty behavior, mm-hmm. like the Catholic Church, right? Totally. Like, you mm-hmm. can't talk about, you'd, it would be outlandish 30 years ago to have even suggested that a priest could have been touching children inappropriately. Yeah. And that just gave them the space to do it, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, I think there's like a, a deeply important uh, social value in saying fuck it talk mm-hmm. about the things people are afraid to talk about yeah. including licking turds
3: including licking turds even <laughs> if it's not your jam i really hope we didn't scare of like most of the people waving the episode opens with that they're like i'm not listening no. to this one <laughs> That's right. if you're still with us everyone you are brave yes we're proud of you thank you for, thank you for staying <laughs> thank you for putting up with us uh
1: what? no there will yeah. be an intro before that okay so good. and i'll talk about how wonderful you are <laughs> Smart. And,
3: <laughs> but just, just, and we'll if
1: I remember, I'll minute. say like, "Don't be put off by the turd licking <laughs> at the beginning." That's that was just a brief interlude.
3: Yeah, well, I I I agree with that, and uh, the more conversations that we can have around around anything. Actually, I listened to your, the opening of your podcast for for Kaj, that you were talking a lot about, um, about race. you know, Oh, about,
1: that was the the litany of, mm-hmm. of terrible words we yeah. can't say. Yeah, which exactly. for a lot of people yeah. is
3: like, we're not supposed to say it, we're not supposed to talk about it. Oh God, all these things that, you know, you know, brush it under the rug, pretend like this isn't a thing, isn't happening. Um, and, you know, same thing with, with a lot of aspects of sexuality too. Yeah. It's just, uh, it feels easier to pretend like that's not something that we need to address or... Um, is even acceptable to address, yeah. but when we start to bring it into the forefront, all of a sudden it creates more openness and gets rid of a lot of shame that a lot of people have. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you probably see too. You pro- I'm sure you get fan mail, people thanking you for, you know, from your book and also from the work that you're doing for talking about. Ev- you know, I mean, you're not just talking about sex, but all of these issues, you know, political issues, sexual, se- sexual politics in a way that, um, that isn't running from it. And mm. I'm sure that that's really, for a lot of people, just inspiring.
1: Yeah, one of, my, one of my proudest moments was when my friend Duncan Trussell, I was on his podcast, you know who he is, comedian?
3: Yes, re- I know, Really
1: yeah. cool guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was on his podcast and he said, You know what
4: you are? You're a shame exorcist.
1: <laughs> I was like, All right, I'll take that. I'll shame. Get
3: the shame out of you. Shame
1: exorcist, yeah. We will yeah. drive it out.
3: And some people aren't ready for it. I mean, some people that's are. That's right, it, yeah. It's,
1: it's not obligatory. No one has to listen I to mean, the that's podcast. that's part
3: of the shame, too, right? So yeah. it's like, Well, you don't want to create more shame by time people, like, Shame on you for not being open and ready to get rid of your shame. Shame on you yeah. for being
1: ashamed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shame on you. Oh, well, that's a. What's that called? Uh, uh, What they used to say. uh, I forget the phrase. Shame squared. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, they used to say um, it's like a bait and switch or catch Mm. 22, but it's a psychological term. And they used to believe that mothers... Caused schizophrenia in child oh, and children by, by doing, using that tactic. Yeah, by like you know, oh, come and come and hug your mother. Get away from me, you disgusting oh, child. And yeah,
3: it's like that confusing. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, not I like a manipulation,
3: it's, but yeah, yeah. It, there's
1: a particular phrase for it. I, don't think, I can't remember it.
3: Oh, anyway. Interesting. I didn't know they thought that that was the cause of schizophrenia. Yeah, blame the, it on the mommy in the
1: '60s. Yeah, oh. you, you know, it's schizophrenic mothering. Uh, That's yeah. what causes it. Okay, that. Yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, so taboos, breaking taboos, bringing them out into the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's revolutionary. Really important. And, well,
3: and I think a big part of that, too, I mean, you know, I could be a sex educator just talking about all the knowledge I know. But I think one of the important pieces is for me to out myself as well here and there. Um, like oh, you know, Like you do as well. I mean, it's part of it Let's because hear, it makes kiss. me real. Oh, my, I mean, my... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I talk about this all the time, in in a way of, and everyone is, is of course, different. Um, yeah. But I always talk about like myself as a sexual being. When I was ten, I had rape fantasies. Hmm. Um, I think I first started rape fantasies via watching TV shows like Melrose Place or Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and there'd be a you rape scene.
1: Well, near a Melrose Avenue.
3: I, yeah, I'm on Melrose Avenue. But I haven't been here the whole time. I know all my rape fantasies are fulfilled.
1: No, I just don't want to talk about rape fantasies and tell people where you live. Oh,
3: shit. Well, they don't know. I mean, I won't tell you my cross-street.
1: Don't. Don't. don't say your (laughs) cross-street. Although, my listeners are very cool.
3: Yeah, it's cool. You You know how many
1: angry emails I got about that opening that you're talking about where I went uh, I said, you know, Jew, nigger, spick, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not one.
3: Really? Not one. Awesome. Well, you had a really good... I mean, you weren't just spouting it off and be like, deal with it. You know, you had a good uh, kind of explanation slash, you know, I mean, you you were good at getting people thinking.
1: It was... Well, you know, I think it ties into what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. where we, we, especially these days, there's this movement to sort of manipulate language around the issue. Mm -hmm. So we don't really talk about the issue because the words are prohibited. Yeah. You know, and the point I was making in that intro is if you don't talk about it, you can't I mean the problem is the problem, not mm-hmm. the words that are associated with exactly. the problem. We're just know? putting
3: all the emphasis into the words. Like right. let's just focus on that.
1: Police language yeah. is fine, but you haven't solved the problem. Yeah. You just get people to stop talking about it, which is the problem in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, you know, my wife's from Africa and she's when she's in America, she's like, Man, you know, in Africa there are a lot of racists in yeah. South Africa and Mozambique. But they're openly racist, mm. and I even know black Americans who prefer the racism of the South to the racism of so-called progressive cities mm. because it's not masked. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, okay, you don't like black people. I get it, you yeah. know. But at least you're honest about it. Yeah. As opposed to pretending you like black people, but then you know all this subtle bullshit you're doing.
3: It's funny how pretending has, seem, has seems to be the lesser of two evils. That, but it yeah. still is. It's still there.
1: It's and it and it's actually worse, yeah. you know, because it perpetuates the behavior by masking it. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, it's
3: confusing. It's like schizophrenic weathering. And it's the like, touch I love of, you. Come here now. Yeah, no,
1: no, no. yeah, you're scary. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I love black people. But uh, not I you, don't want any. You're too to, black. Yeah. Uh, I saw. Speaking of touching, I, I saw a thing in the, the paper yesterday or the day before that made me, like, amused and sad, which is sort of a familiar feeling. Uh, the Queen of England. Some some diplomat or somebody was in England, and there was a photo of them going down the stairs, and he sort of held her arm. She's an old lady, you know, going down the stairs, and the headline was serious breach of protocol when you know Australian Prime Minister or something touched the Queen. Oh wow! <laughs> the Queen cannot be touched. Do not
3: touch the Queen. Ooh. Off with your head. Yeah.
1: I mean, think how sad that is to be the queen. I mean, none of us get touched enough. But if there's like a law that no one's allowed, is there like a royal queen toucher? No. Is there someone? someone that
3: gives her, her oxytocin fix?
1: Or that's why she has all those little dogs.
3: Oh, they're they're the oxytocin. <laughs> that's their job. Oh my God, bestiality! The queen, come, Gorgie, join <laughs> <laughs> the this peanut butter. <laughs> oh, it all makes sense now. It's she doesn't need touch. She's got all the
1: dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that that?
3: She doesn't need a human touch. She has the dogs.
1: Yeah.
3: And a big jar of peanut butter.
1: It's true. We do that, though. It's like the virgin sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we elevate people and then isolate them. Yeah. You know, think or they it.
3: elevate themselves. But, I mean, it's,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, of... like, you know, someone like George Clooney can't go out in public. Yeah. You know? It's, it's... His friends all have to come to the house to visit him because he walks out the door and it's a fucking mob scene.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you kind of lose your freedom.
1: Yeah. In that sense. Yeah.
3: And so. you don't get all these people that just want to touch you. Oh, they do want to touch you, but maybe it's now it's too much. So. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: too much. I, Keith Richards, you ever read his autobiography?
3: I don't think so. It's really
1: good. Oh man. Anyway, he talks about, uh, you know, like going to a concert or, or TV taping or something, and the the women, girls basically, who would like surround the car, screaming and screaming, and it was like. If this car, they would tear me apart. Like mm-hmm. they would literally, because there's rip this all frenzy. Everything's off. They'd like pull a finger, and they, you know, it would just be. It would actually Animals. be uh, death. Mm-hmm. Good way to die. no not a no, no, good way to die. Probably a horrible way to die. Still Being torn to that, yeah. pieces. Torn
3: to pieces by a whole bunch of hungry like eighteen-year-olds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe two or three at a time. <laughs>
3: Now the fantasy begins. Here we go. Here we go. And cue the sexy music. <laughs> dude,
1: dude, Barry White. Why is Barry White sexy music? This obese dude. <laughs> oh baby, oh baby. And you see him; he's like, beached whale.
3: That, yeah, the, he, he just found his niche. He just, he just found his. It it's somehow. that deep
1: voice. Yeah. Deep voice suggests big dick. Is that the connection?
3: I guess. I mean, I and don't also know. big.
1: Now here's the think... thing: with you and I can talk about. I yeah. can't talk about it with just anyone. Big penises in American culture are seen as like, you know, this great thing. Glore but there are plenty of cultures, uh, for example, the Kung San mm-hmm. in uh, the Botswana, in the Kalahari Desert. To say, to call someone, there's like an insult. You big dick, whatever. Oh. It's an insult wow. to have a big dick.
3: Interesting.
1: So it's, these things are, you know.
3: It's cultural.
1: Everybody yeah. talks about dicks. How come nobody talks about how deep someone's pussy is?
3: Yeah, because it's about
1: compatibility. It's not just straight up size.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, the pussy is an internal organ. You know, it's in, so it's kind of hard to you don't need to see it like the dicks are just kind of out out there in yeah. the open. So, I mean, yeah. um, you know, if everyone's naked, you can tell what's going on with the dick, but you can't tell what's going on. with the pussy. But you
1: can't really tell what's going on with the dick. Yeah, As you know, always the growers, the and, growers the showers. and showers, <laughs> and I think I mean talking about shame, I think that's a big thing. It's a really big that thing that people in, need in to know culture, about. In this culture, it's yeah, yeah, it's
3: it's huge. Yeah. yeah, and there's the Seinfeld episode with the, the shrinkage. shrinkage. Everyone always thinking shrinkage. Yeah, it's shrinkage. <laughs> it's called shrinkage. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's I, it's interesting how it's become. I mean, It's just glorified by porn, like you know, it just. It became a thing and when in since then you know, it's done a lot other than other than the, the penis shame You know if your cock's not huge then you want to hide your cock and you should have shame about it Is what society says right. you know that definitely came from porn and then your flaccid cough flaccid even yeah. hard Right, yeah. like if you're hard, and it's you know I mean what is average in the US is like just a little over five inches or something right. hard
1: and again, what, you know again there are these weird biases like when we're talking about cock size, we talk about length. Yeah, Nobody talks exactly, about girth, exactly what's which is shirt. actually yeah. more important yeah, as, then, than then my length. understanding. for
3: Well, okay, let's talk about... And this is pregnancy. going to be speaking towards heterosexual coupling. So, right. I mean, if you're dealing with a penis and a vulva vagina pussy... Um, then the the vagina, you know, only has nerve endings for the first inch or so. There's other nerve endings, but has a lot of nerve endings the 80%, first inch.
1: I think, yeah. The and inch, then there's yeah. a
3: clitoris, you know, all external. Yeah. It has the most nerve endings. It's like eight thousand or something there. But when you go in, you don't have a lot of nerve endings until you get to around the cervix in the very back. And there's nerve endings there, but you have to have some really specific technique to hit those. Otherwise, it's too much for the cervix. Right. So technically speaking, you really don't need that much length to get to all. other stuff inside it's really that first inch and then maybe the curve up towards the g-spot which is still I mean if you're packing three inches you can get to those places
1: right if especially if you are conscious of the right movements yeah. and the right positions and and you ask her what feels good. Yeah. That's that's what people don't do.
3: No, they just they assume everyone's psychic. Or they and then there's the people learning how to have sex from porn. Right. You know, they watch they watch porn, this is how we should fuck. Right. She and wants to get
1: pounded. She wants and to come get pounded. There's no
3: foreplay. Right. They're not adding lube. There's like spitting on the orifice and and it's like jackrabbit sex right from the start. And I, I mean I've seen clients who, you know, women in their 30s who are married and they're like, "Well, I don't know why I don't want to have sex with my husband anymore." I'm like, "Well, what kind of sex are you having?" And I they actually they're having, you know, porn star jackrabbit sex. I'm like, "Well, that's why you don't want to fuck your husband anymore yeah. because the sex you're having, one, there's no warm-up. You know, a vulva takes four times as long to get blood flow than a, than a cock. So there's no warm-up to take that so into account." So, 7 seconds? So, yeah, exactly. 7 yeah. seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's different for everyone. And then two, the, the movements you're doing like literally that pounding stuff you're missing all the parts that you know it's not hitting all the places in your body that feel good
1: which gets back to the big dick thing uh-huh. i don't mean to sound like no, i, yeah, I have an issue dick. with big dicks but <laughs> another, i think her. about this watching porn sometimes like which i do for research purposes of course um you know when these guys with these these super long dicks they never have contact with the body to body yeah because they can't go all the way in exactly and that's where the rubbing and the you know the, pr- the, grinding, the, the
3: grinding getting the clitoris right. the, the labia all exactly. these parts that like all this touch right yeah you know like, big, big dicks, I know we glorify it, but that's just a lot to deal with. Most women I know are like, I don't want to deal with them.
1: And also, another thing, I'm saying all this because guys are so uptight about their dicks, and I want guys with, like, normal-sized dicks, I want to yeah. represent... And
3: big dicks are great, too. I didn't mean to just shame big dicks. No, no, dicks.
1: not shame yeah. What I'm trying to get to is some balance. Yeah. And that there, balance. Are, there are pluses and minuses to everything, yeah. including this. Another issue is... Big dicks require more blood; Mm -hmm. therefore, uh, erectile dysfunction can be an issue. They can be big and floppy, Mm -hmm. you know. So they're so guys with normal or less than normal sized dicks, they're big. They're I shouldn't say big advantages, but they're advantages. There are,
3: there are, and it really is more about the knowledge and the technique and the energy and the connection. Like these are all really huge things. If you just because you're packing a huge dick doesn't mean you're going to be great in bed.
1: In fact, you might be less likely to be good in bed because you think your dick solves the problem exactly. and women are like oh, what a pain in the ass that guy is yeah. he thinks his big dick like you never asked me what I wanted
0: yeah
1: yeah dick. I used to do a thing with women where uh, I would just say okay Say a number from one to five. Five like being like fantastic, yeah. um, one being does nothing for me. And then I would just do various things. And
3: so they're like, five, 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 four. It was
1: like, zero. Yeah, <laughs> zero wasn't on the spectrum. <laughs> Negative ten. Oh, geez, sorry. <laughs> uh, but literally, like, you know, map it out, you know? And I know that, of course, things change. It's contextual. Today this works, tomorrow that does. This is another thing guys don't understand that women when they're ovulating they might be into something totally different than when they're not their yeah. their sensitivity changes their mm-hmm. hungers change appetites all these things are very um, you have to check in and yeah. find out what what's going on mm-hmm. with her you know? the
3: communication piece for people it's so interesting how challenging it is and but I get it because again you know we're talking about this is kind of the the whole premise of what we're talking about is how difficult these taboo conversations are because we're, we're trained to not have them. You know, we're not supposed yeah. to talk about these things. And, and there's this confusing thing, too. Um, you know, we don't want to be too much, right? Like mm. too much or not enoughness. We're always battling with those things here. So... Um I know a lot of people who have, they think if they they voice their desires and needs in the bedroom then they're too much. You know, they might not mm. I might lose the love if I, I think if, if I they're too ask for these
1: demanding things. or something.
3: I'm too and especially for women. I don't want to be the needy hysterical woman. You know, that's the too muchness. Um, and then and for men too same it's I mean it's everyone's kind of battling it a little bit here and there and unless you know they're they're very refined in their communication skills and yes. it just takes a lot of practice. Yeah and some courage. Yeah.
1: You know a lot um, of courage. and and the knowledge that it's, to to ask someone what they want is not a sign of ignorance or weakness. It's awesome. the opposite. Yeah. And they're yeah.
3: going to be like, thank
1: you. Yeah. yeah. You, you actually care what I want? Yeah. And of course you do. Uh, you know, every, every guy wants to be known as a good lover. Yeah. You know, and every woman wants to, you know, the guy to be happy and satisfied and feel great. But we assume that we should already know how to do that as if like, it's really silly it's like saying you know uh, you know someone who's a who's a good mountain climber mm-hmm. right you don't climb every mountain the same way no. you you, you mm-hmm. your equipment's different, your clothing's different you you have to map it out, you think about it, the weather conditions change you know it's so every mountain is a different kind of endeavor so just the fact that you're a great mountain climber doesn't mean that you show up at any mountain exactly the same equipment and you just do it the same way yeah. no you adapt yourself yeah. and so a good lover is somebody who looks at each sexual opportunity totally differently. Yeah. Like, what is this? What's happening? What, who are you? What do you need? What What are you into? That's, that's, and that's, that's, oh, sorry to keep anyway, talking right. here, but, yeah. you know, I mean, I left these fears behind a long time ago and, and it's allowed me to see that that's actually a big part of the turn on. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. not even the sex. I mean, the sex can be great, but it's.
3: Well, that conveys—it's it's
1: getting you know closer to it and communicating about it.
3: Well, it also just makes people feel seen and understood. You right. know that can that like creates and conveys connection that I actually am here, connected to you, and considering you by actually being curious and wanting to understand you more, as opposed to like nah, you're just a body that I'm fucking and I'm just gonna do what I want to do based on what I think I what feels good for me or what I know. Right. Um, and then you know we talked about this a little bit last night that. You know, the connection is, is really what people are, are looking for. Is that connection, authenticity is a really big piece of it. People who are real, because beneath that is it conveys safety. You know, when, yeah. when we see, okay, this person's real, you know, they're honest, they're authentic, and it feels like there's a connection here, um, beneath that, people are like, okay, I'm safe. And therefore, I can share my body with this person and I can share my vulnerability with them. Right. And that's where great sex comes from. Right. When you have those places where people can let down all of their walls, all of a sudden they can be fully present. They can feel all of the pleasure because they're not somewhere else. They're not on their head saying, I'm not safe, I'm not safe, I'm not safe. Instead, they can fully arrive. And so I know we think of all these like, you know, t- little techniques and big dicks and all these things are what makes great sex. Right. No, it's not. It's, right. it's so much more than that. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like, I don't know. This, this is a pretty ridiculous connection, probably, but I often think of like... <laughs> Sorry, this is going to sound so pretentious. I'm Bring think, it. I'm thinking of Chopin and Franz Liszt, <laughs> alright?
3: You guys ready for this?
1: <laughs> so, they lived at the same time, mm-hmm. in the mid-1800s, and uh, Franz Liszt was the first pianist. Before him, the pianist always played with his back to the audience. Mm. He was the first one who turned the piano to its side, which is the yeah. way it's so that you could see him play. His technique was incredible. He, yeah. you know, no one had ever played like that, right? But then you have Chopin, who wasn't, uh, I mean, he was a great pianist, but not the showman that Liszt was. Mm. But there was so much feeling in his music right mm-hmm. and so I like when I'm thinking about this difference between technique and feeling right mm-hmm. or like jazz you know there's some jazz music that's just like <laughs> it's like alright great you, you can like do things really quickly yeah. <laughs> but who gives a shit? And all over the place? Yeah, like where's the feeling? Where's yeah. the groove? Where's the blood? Where's the heartbeat? You mm-hmm. know, like I need I want to feel something when I listen to music. I don't yeah. just want to be like intellectually impressed. you well, know.
3: Well, that's what they say, you know, for um, you know public speakers or teaching workshops it's not about the you know the things that you say it's about how you how you leave them feeling right? right so i could go up and teach an hour and a half class and probably not do a very good job i, mean, I do a great job i'm not saying i don't but if i'd say <laughs> i didn't for the first hour and 10 minutes yeah. and i spent the last 20 minutes making you feel really really great what based on the you know what you're leaving with right. that's what you'd remember you yeah. would leave with that and that that says a lot you know there's a, there's a lot more to it than just like the bullshit that we can say or the technique or it's it really is it is like there's an energetic force behind it and yeah it's a really important component
1: so rape fantasies at 10
3: rape fantasies at 10
1: coming no. up at 10 rape fantasies, rape fantasies. At 10. okay
3: so let me let me start this with um i don't have any sexual trauma um, other than you know compliant sex which is pretty common where um, I had consensual, you know, I've had a consensual sex my whole life, but I have had sexual experiences where there was something that wasn't feeling that great, and I just didn't say speak up for it.
1: Which some people are defining as rape now. I'm,
3: I'm maybe I'm not. I'm saying no, no, I wouldn't. I yeah. mean, for me that was. I like, say someone's rubbing my clit really hard and it's not feeling good, but I'm not saying, Hey, um, I, I love when you touch my clit and this is my positive reinforcement, right? I love when you touch my clit. And what I love even more is if you went a little slower and softer and they're like, Oh, Oh, I'm doing a good job. Um, so when you're not doing that, just putting up with it and therefore, you know, that in itself can create little bits of trauma in your body because your body starts to associate you know, hand on clit—you know—doesn't feel that good. And mm. if you keep having compliant sexual experiences, it just kind of reiterates that, reinforces that. Mm. Um, so I've had those experiences more way after I was having rape fantasies, though, because I wasn't having sexual experiences when I was ten. And as a child, I just—you know—we talked about this too. I wasn't a masturbating child, and I just—I always had crushes on boys.
1: Neither one of us were. That, yeah. That's funny. And we we're so. I wonder if there's some association there. Yeah. yeah.
3: I don't... Yeah, I don't know. it. Yeah, we talked about this. It just wasn't really, like, a curiosity of ours that we just weren't...
1: Yeah, it just didn't really... I mean, I had sex when I was 11.
3: Yeah. Oh, yes. You were... You started... I think I heard that... We know. Did I hear that in another podcast? Pro- I about?
1: don't know. If I okay. forget what I've... <laughs> talked about publicly. This is,
3: yes, wait, you were talking about the babysitter. babysitter. Yeah, oh, I did hear about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all about you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so does <it is> the <laughs> Scaring, rest of the world. <laughs> scary. My presidential aspirations. Wait, so. We
3: talked about this. So you had sex at 11. Right. But you didn't actually masturbate till 15. Right. Yes. Okay. I like it's it. weird. That, yeah. Those
1: were like weird years because I sort of knew what I was missing. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
1: I think like 12, 13, it didn't matter. I didn't really care. I was just wanted to be an Indian yeah but then we uh, we
3: were horny though like you had a sex sex drive going on i
1: think the sex drive really kicked in at like 13 14 something like that Mm -hmm. and then i was having wet dreams which was embarrassing because my mother didn't know what was going on oh the sheets yeah Yeah. like once a month i'd be like you just slip these in the washer (laughs) what's going
4: on with you i spilled apple juice
1: mom yeah but I'm still probably to this day, the most intense orgasms I've ever had were, you know, dream.
3: The energy. I, I think those are so Oof. fascinating. Like yeah. the power of the, the mind being your largest sex organ and that it has the ability to create orgasm whenever, you know, not whenever it wants to but on its own. Yeah. It's that's awesome. That's yeah. amazing. That's just yeah. like uh, so powerful. I wish that we could. I mean, then and then it shows, you know, if we have that ability, I think anyone has the ability to learn how to give themselves orgasms, it would, but sure. it would just be a lot of work to get there. But I mean if you can do it in your sleep, you could learn how to do it whenever you wanted to just
1: Yeah. Just through thinking your, yeah. yourself to I mean, it. There are no
3: people that can have energy orgasms through breath work and you
1: know. I, I one time, you know, I'm I'm a massage therapist. I studied oh. massage and for a while I was working in Spain one of my jobs was I was a massage therapist for women who had breast cancer and also fashion models. Hmm. It was, I was living in this mansion with fashion models. Anyway, I was giving a woman a massage one day. and But it was sort of a casual massage. It wasn't like on the table. It was just a friend. And, you know, she had woken up with a weird thing in her neck and all that. So she sat on the... Sorry, I should back up a little bit. Because she was sleeping with a friend of mine. Okay, All right? And... He had just moved somewhere and had left stuff at my place, and so she came to pick up the stuff, and she I don't remember what she was gonna ship it or hold it for him or whatever it was. So um, but he had told me that uh he was kind of worried sometimes because when they had sex, she would thrash around her head like wildly. And he was afraid she was gonna like bump her head on the bed and hurt herself or something so we, he was sort of joking like dude i got i, I want to get a helmet for her or something mm-hmm. you know like <laughs> she did really kind of it's nutty yeah so so i knew this about her right and so she came to pick up the stuff she had this crick in her neck and so she sat down on the floor between my legs and you know i was giving her a shoulder massage and there was one particular point in her right shoulder that was really sensitive. And so I sort of worked around it and loosened the muscles around it. And then, you know, slowly as it relaxed, I would move into it more and more. And then I finally like got really into the point and was trying to release the, the contraction. And she
3: came. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. With the head thrashing.
3: Oh, she did the head thrash yeah. too.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and she's facing away from me, right? And so... I can't see what if her eyes are open or closed or whatever, but she's coming. Mm-hmm. And then it was over, and I'm thinking, like, you know, this is going to be an interesting conversation, you know? <laughs> I think I, like, leaned down and gave her a kiss on the cheek or something just to let her know, like, hey, it's, you know, it's okay, whatever. And, uh, and it was strange. Like, she never acknowledged that it happened. Hmm. And it wasn't like... And she wasn't embarrassed. It wasn't like, I gotta go, and like a weird thing. It was just as if, like, she blacked out and didn't know it happened. I, I really think she didn't know. Wow.
3: Yeah. Like, it was a complete out-of-body experience, like a disassociation I almost. think so, yeah. yeah.
1: Which might explain the head thrashing, too. Yeah. Like an out-of-body thing.
3: I wonder if that is some, related to some... Sort of, yeah, there's something deeper there. Or, I mean, maybe that's just, like, her orgasmic process, but maybe it's related to something else that makes it so that she completely leaves.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Women, I mean, you're straight. We, we established straight, last yes. night that we're it's both so regretfully pain. straight.
3: It's so painful.
1: <laughs> we're missing half the party.
3: Damn it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> I know, I know. And I, I have so many really close friends who are gay, and it's just, like, pfft. Yeah. I love I I mean, you know, I love lots of people, but some the thing about gay men is that I really admire them. Oh yeah. You know, cuz they've gone through this this crucible of, you know, facing ostracism and shame and and mm-hmm. you know, sin and like all the shit that society throws at people who are not conventional and they've fucking faced it down and they've come through it and and so on the other side of that, there's this sort of like, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm just having fun and I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And there's this...
3: Out and proud. I love it, yeah. you
1: know. And, and so I'm really attracted to that quality of them. I'm not attracted to, you know, sucking their dicks, but I'm attracted <laughs> to yeah. their, their characters and their humor and, you know, the way they, they live their lives. So mm-hmm. it's a funny... So I do, I'm really like, I'm moving toward it, but I can only get so close, and then it's like, yeah, I just can't take that next step. You yeah. Know? yeah. If the
3: dick's not for you, the dick's not for
1: you. But, <laughs> um, we we're talking about the early sexual stuff. Yeah. As soon as I learned to masturbate at 15, you and I were talking last night about how mm-hmm. we both sort of started late, but as soon as we got into it, we were really fascinated mm-hmm. intellectually. My thing, as soon I did martial arts uh, when I was a kid, um, quite a bit. And when I first started jerking off, it it became like a martial art for me. It Mm. was like uh, I'm I'm gonna, I have to learn about this Mm -hmm. because I recognized that being able to choose when to come was a really important thing.
3: Mm -hmm. You did at 15. Yeah. Wow. As
1: soon as I, as soon as I started jerking off, I was like, okay, let's see how close I can get. Yeah to the the point of no return and not cross yeah let's see if i can cross a little and come back
3: oh wow you know
1: let's like get into that so i haven't like come by accident since clinton was president
3: (laughs) you got it dialed in
1: (laughs) i mean it's a and i'm I'm not saying this to brag i'm saying this again because i think for young men that's if you want to be you know you want to you want to be a good lover Train your dick.
3: Yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. You
1: know? Well, have, know know yourself.
3: Well, and the, the thing, so because you, you, you got so your first masturbation practices, you didn't have any sort of pressure there. So what happens for a lot of young people is you know, they have to go kind of fast and hard because someone's going to walk in, you know, or they do it in the shower. You don't want to be in the shower for too long. Yeah, yeah. Or um, maybe when they have an orgasm, they have to be really quiet because mom or dad might hear them. Right. And that kind of sticks with them. Your first, you know, our first sexual mm. experiences, whether it's with other, another person or with ourselves, kind of sticks with us. And that can kind of become the go-to default for how we want to experience sexuality. Right, right. And so it's interesting that you're saying, you you got, to, got this start of like, you had this, what a lot of people are starting to do in their older age when they're like, okay, now I want to start doing the work to have have more control over my orgasms to get off to not just fast and hard, to get off to slow and soft, to right. um, have more powerful orgasms. You know, you were doing this at 15 and already playing yeah. with it. Um, yeah. And, and, and can do it, anyone can do it at any age. It just... It takes dedication to
1: And it. try your other hand. That's a oh, good thing, Oh, amidextrous
3: just jacking off. Yeah. It's hard. I, when I was teaching this, this blowjob class last night, I was doing this hand job technique. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I, my left, my right hand, my left. And I realized I, I'm, I, I'm amidextrous with my, with my jack-off techniques. You'd
1: be great in a three-way.
3: <laughs> I'd be like, got them all, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I'm like, oh, my God, I use both hands. This is great. <laughs> I didn't even know.
1: You didn't know? I
3: had no idea. Really? I, was I just discovered that I was. Yeah, I didn't even
1: notice. That's great. I was I was playing pool with my ex-girlfriend one night. It's the first time she'd ever played pool. And she was terrible. She was just like, <laughs> you know, missing the cue ball and everything was all over the place. And and so I decided to mansplain a little. And I was like, yeah, why don't you switch hands? Try this hand. And she's like, really? No, this feels better. I was like, just try it. See, whatever. Donk. It was Corner perfect. pocket, yeah. dunk side <laughs> pocket. It's like, oh, that works. Like, yeah. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Well, I wish everything was that way. Yeah. Just switch hands and suddenly you don't even know. Yeah. There you yeah. go. That make
3: life a lot easier.
1: Um. So, so I don't mean to dwell on the rape thing, but no, but I'm I wondering dwell, yeah. where where did that come from? Do you think that's cultural? Do you think it's biological? So
3: I think so. This that was kind of like the because if you look at who I am now as a sexual being, I'm really. Um, Attracted to like in, in my sex, I'm really attracted to um, dominance and it isn't always like not we're not talking like rough sex dominance Although I do like that, but I also I'm really just attracted like dominance and strength as, um, From a male figure as an energetic force, right? So it can come on a very like con- like loving tantric You know thing where we're just wrapped around each other and having this like transcendent sex where it feels like we're gonna blast off but he's still holding that space in this very strong confident way kind of like you know I got you you can surrender here you're safe here like mm-hmm. I, I can take control of this and you can just right. like melt into me that to me like totally gets my motor going and then there's also the other side of it more like on what you call like the kinky side maybe it's like vanilla kinky but whatever you know it's a different matter of perspective um, but I'm really attracted to that and it's kind of more of like a daddy little girl dynamic not like father though it's it's more, it's more, you know, like, hi, Father Dearest. It's more, like, just he's that strong energy. Yeah, and some sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I do have a partner and we play into this um, a little bit with, like, the daddy. You know, I call him daddy and he calls me little girl, like, dirty little slut or, you know, things like that. And, um, and so that is something that has kind of unraveled, but I think that if it comes, you know, the rape fantasy thing started when I was 10, but I think beneath that, you know, and we talked about the core erotic theme last night a little bit, but, um, beneath that, if you look at my childhood, you know, my dad was very present, but energetically he was not, I did not feel like daddy had my back. I Mm. couldn't go and cry to him. Mm. You know, he was, it was, it was too much for him. So I think it really comes from that place, not a place of. Um, you know, abuse or, um, or like, you know, sexual trauma coming more from a great desire to be held energetically by this strong masculine force. That's like, you can surrender to me, show me all of your emotions, like, you know, cry, laugh, whatever you need. I'm here and I got this. And I think I'm, I'm working through all of that in my sex life in a really delicious way. Like mm. it's, and it feels, feels so, so good. It feels just so fulfilling
1: so do you think you said use the phrase working through Mm
3: -hmm.
1: do you think you'll come out on the other side of this and like
3: not have this desire anymore no I think what it's doing though is it's creating more safety for me to be an emotional being so it's working through that you know it's it's been a kind of a challenge in my adult life to you know I've always been that that woman you know that like I got this I don't need anyone not like I don't need a partner but like you know I'm that person where if I'm in your kitchen I will look in every drawer and cabinet before I ask you, hey, Mm. where's the spoon?
4: Um,
3: So it's just like, I don't want to be too much. I don't want to seem too needy. I don't want to be too emotional. Um, You know, I'm Amy, I'm always happy, la la la. And it's only been the last, you know, five or six years where I've really um, learned through through my sexual experiences, but also through partners, through friends, uh, people creating space for me to be a vulnerable emotional being. And that happens in sex too um, in sex, you know, outside of sex, but about sex, it's in all these spaces where it's someone's like literally letting me know I can bring all of myself. All of you is welcome here. Mm. You can have, you know, cry gasses, you can scream, you can kick, you can, you know, whatever it is, it not, don't kick me, but you whatever you need to do, um, as your fullest expression of who you are is welcome here and is safe. And I'm right. not going to judge it. I'm not going to run. Right. I'm, I'm going to stay right here for you. That's hot. Yeah. Yeah. For me, and it's different for yeah. other people. So, I've had partners where the rape fantasy thing, because it's not something I role play now. It's it's just something I had. Like I still, to this day, if I see a rape fantasy in, or sorry, a rape scene in a movie, it gets a little bit of the motor going. Not as much as it used to. Um, it's just I'm a little more jaded these days. Um, but I have had partners in the past who kind of were really uncomfortable with that. They were. Like, why? There must be something wrong. This is this not normal. You know, there must be something wrong with you. Something must have happened to you. Right. Um, it was, and I wasn't asking them to, like, let's do a rape scene, but I would just, you know, vocalize that this was something that um, turned me on and that I was attracted to dominance. And it was uncomfortable for some people. Yeah. Um, because they're of the understanding that. Our fantasies are what we want to happen, right? right? And there's which a big is a difference. mistake. Yeah. yeah, like I don't want to be raped. That's right. very clear. I've always known that since I was ten. Right. This, and I even I remember thinking that being a ten year old, having these fantasies, and I was like, "Is this? Do I want this to happen?" Like I'm getting so turned on by these thoughts. Um. But I, but I knew I didn't. You know, I mm. knew that it was, and I, I didn't tell people right right away. It wasn't until later when I became a sex educator that I. Outed that, but I don't think I had a lot of shame about it when I was younger. I, I don't know. I wasn't raised with a lot of shame around sexuality in general, though. So there's one thing I had going for me.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, you talked about you, how your personality characteristics may be related to that mm-hmm. sort of fantasy profile. I, in my experience, and, and you know, this is all anecdotal, of course, but it seems that. Um, the women I've known who have been like sexual submissiveness was an important part of their sexuality are very strong, smart women who are in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've, they they're dealing with kids, they've got jobs, they're you know running a company, whatever. They're like they're they're like really competent, smart women and. My take on it has been that the sexual submissiveness was a way for them to relax. Oh
3: yeah, mm-hmm. it's
1: just like, hey, you know what? For the next hour, I don't want to make any decisions. Yeah. you make the decisions. Mm-hmm. You just tell me what to do, and to I'll do it.
3: Finally, let go. And I'm not
1: even going to be thinking.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So I, I and that turns me on a lot. That kind of when you of, have, when you dynamic. have that, when
3: someone else's can surrender to you, or yeah, yeah,
1: well, and also that it's that kind of woman. It's yeah. not a woman who's needy. Yeah. In general, who's just like you trying to manipulate princess, me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm just gonna lie here and yeah. sleep while you fucking you like. The work. No, no, I'm not into that. Yeah. But that sort of like, hey, can I? Can you just drive for the next hour mm-hmm. and I'll be? You know, that's like that's so cool because yeah. it's. I mean, it all ties into my energy as well. But it's okay. also, I love the trust. You know, I love the like, hey, you know, I know you're. I mean, there's there's also there's this funny thing like topping from the bottom and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of thing where it's like okay now on the on the surface you're, you' we're agreeing that I'm in charge here
4: yeah but deep down but deep down I'm
1: not gonna tell you to do anything I don't already know you want to do mm-hmm. so to what extent am I really in charge in a way I'm just doing what you've already asked me to do so you're kind of in charge even though we're pretending mm-hmm. you know what I mean so there there are all these multiplicities of, of rules roles and yeah. rules yeah so the the thing with You know, the power dynamic, um, I I was asking you about that because I feel like there may be some biological component to Mm -hmm. it. You know, we're talking about orangutans, which are pretty closely related to humans. There's also like forceful sex in chimpanzees who are even more closely related to humans, not in bonobos.
3: Yeah, the, the lovers.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
3: like matriarchal more yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Like and every that, sexual Don't they
3: like fuck it out when they have some yeah. arguments or like or just some drama, like let's just let's just rub it out.
1: Franz Duvall said chimps use violence to get sex, bonobos use sex to avoid violence.
3: Mm.
1: Right. They deal with stress by having sex. Mm-hmm. And and the most common sex is between females. Mm-hmm. It's called genital rubbing, mm-hmm. where they just sort of rub their clits together. The only combination that doesn't happen is mother-son, hmm. which tells me that motherfucker is the oldest ah. swear word that goes predates language. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but uh, what was my point? Oh, the biological component, because yeah. I think... There's evidence that um, women respond physiologically to uh, rape scenes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the lubrication. Mm -hmm. Even women who are totally turned off by it or have had, uh, you know, rape experiences themselves, so Mm -hmm. they're traumatized by it, their body still responds which tells me that it's a physiological protection, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're less Ah, likely to be hurt.
3: Lubricate yourself so that it's it's not harmful to your body. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. Um,
1: That makes sense. And, you know, from the the male perspective, I think a, a sort of under appreciated aspect of male sexuality, certainly in the United States, is those years between when boys become sexual beings and can realistically expect to have some sort of a sex life. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, anywhere from two, three, four, five, ten years that, you know, that lag time between. And during those years, because testosterone is so high, you know, a 15-year-old boy is just a, you know a monomaniacal, (laughs) pussy-obsessed beast. Mm -hmm. And very few 15-year-old boys are getting laid. So it's, you know, I mean, we laugh about it, I laugh about it, but it's a very painful period. And I think that a lot of the misogyny in American culture and totally, you know, fucked up... Approaches to this sort of these power dynamics where they're, they're they're not contextual and they're you know taken to extremes. I think a lot of that has to do with the sense of disempowerment that mm-hmm. adolescents
3: feel well, that they feel. don't have access like they have
1: that on the one hand there's nothing they want more yeah, and it's not just it. it's not just sex because they can jerk off mm-hmm. and that doesn't solve the problem yeah. it's it's contact it's, it's contact touching connection. it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's the attention of a woman yeah. it, it's being engaged with a with a woman or a girl right but the girls that age who are sexual they're with older dudes with Camaros, mm-hmm. and was that your experience? That was my experience. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sounds like some wounding. <laughs> camaros
1: and your Camaro. mustaches. God damn it, Judy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually studied German for three years because Judy was in the German class. Wow! And I thought I had a shot. And
3: You're like, I may not have a Camaro, but or a mustache, but I can learn some German.
1: I got zits and braces. Yeah, which which is a poor comparison to a mustache and a camaro
3: i was a pretty awkward kid i so i was the you know like right now i'm five nine and like i have i have
4: beautiful gorgeous dress, gorgeous absolutely but i
3: was like the you know the, which the patreon supporters boomer. can now see can for see themselves me. she's yes. naked just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I was, the, you know, the late bloomer, a lot yeah. shorter than everyone, flat chested, braces, yeah. kind of just like that awkward, gangly one, and you know, had all had crushes on all the boas, and none of them wanted me, and um, you know, had that kind of perspective from afar too, and thought, you know, if, if only I had these, if only I had breasts, they'd be into me. Oh, and then I got breasts, and that it was actually kind of true. It's that's kind of sad.
1: <laughs> how, how did the? I mean, did your your breasts are natural? They're natural, or? yeah. But I
3: was just a late bloomer. And you know, they,
1: how quickly did that happen?
3: Because well,
1: um, you said, I got breasts. Was it, it like... It was
3: like freshman year. They just went from being non-existent until the end of freshman year. All of a sudden, you know, sophomore year, I really had breasts. Really? Yeah. It was it, high school? It was, yeah, so early high ju- yeah. school.
1: 16? I was so. like,
3: yeah, 15, 16. And, you know, most of the other girls, it was junior high. And oh, what's that
1: like? I mean, did the sensitivity change
3: for me? Yeah. No, well, yeah. I guess the sensitivity changed, but again, like I wasn't a masturbator or a toucher or of any sort, and I don't remember. You know, you fun fact actually about my breasts and my nipples. Um, I've actually really uh, not enjoyed having the the breasts are fine, but the actual nipples. Uh, I haven't enjoyed having them touched until recently. This time last year. I was in my somatica training, the sex and relationship coaching training, and we had this exercise where uh, we were fully clothed and we were supposed to um, touch or tell this uh, this other person, our, our partner that we were paired up with, um, what we wanted, and they had to keep moving. You know, every every thirty seconds we'd switch. Like, I want you to touch me here. I'd like you to touch me here. Just very demanding. Now I want you to do this. Now I want you to do this. And I had this woman uh, kind of like spread all over me. She was just all over my body. She was kind of doing whatever I tell her to do. And at one point, I had her rubbing around the breasts. And then I said, now I'll rub around my nipples, even though I had a top on. And it totally eroticized my nipples. Mm. You know, at 30, 31, my nipple, nipples finally became eroticized. Really? by her doing it in a way that I was asking for. Right. Through clothes, so and she was she was touching them very lightly and slowly and softly and in a way that didn't overstimulate them. Right. So I think in my whole you know, in the past I've had a lot of people touch my nipples, but it was always too much. Right. And so I just assume uh, like associated with I just don't like nipples. Right, nipple play. Right. But really they're just really sensitive. It's and
1: like it's like if you've only had bad Mexican food and you think you don't like Mexican food. Yeah
3: exactly, food. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you have some good Mexican food or someone and rubs your nipples the right way, and you're like, oh my God. And now I have three clits. You know, I have a clitoris and then two on my chest. That's awesome.
4: <laughs> three clits. It's amazing. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's
3: it's and again, there's the power. Three of... Three clits
1: and ambidextrous.
3: I'm, oh my god, I am. I'm really a deep throating too.
1: <laughs> you're a deep throater.
3: I'm really good at deep throating. Really. And speci- I learned this specifically through when I teach my workshops, and I'm like, we're gonna a pause
1: this podcast. I'm gonna go grab we'll my? We'll be back <laughs> in about an hour.
3: <laughs> yeah, these are some of the skills. Yeah. It's interesting. I like always. Like to push the fact that I have these skills, but if you hear me, I also have a very um, a, a, I have a brain, so
1: <laughs> all the best DJs have, they they yeah. have a brain, yeah, yeah. It's, good. it's skills. Blowjobs are funny, it's another thing that makes me wish I were gay because I think, like, I can remember saying to a woman one time, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. This, is, uh, this might be too much. I, no I, I, rem- I remember saying, "Well, there is when a hundred thousand people are listening." Are you guys ready?
3: You guys can handle this, right?
1: Okay. Uh, no, I remember saying to her, like without thinking, I was saying, like, if I, if I suck dick, that's exactly how I would do it.
3: When they, when they, okay.
1: Yeah, and she said that's the. Why is that, right. That's, that's a great the compliment. best compliment anyone's ever yeah, given me. Yeah, someone
3: can tell you, like, oh, that's some great, heads, the best head I've ever had. But when you say, like, that's... like,"
1: yeah. Because the thing is, when you're getting a blowjob, you're, you're obviously, you're experiencing it from the perspective of the, you know, the dick holder. But you're also, at least in my case, you're also sort of in her head and imagining what it feels. Because the thing is, like, I have a, I mean, the the two extremes are her on one side and on the other side, I think last night I was telling you this woman who gave me a blowjob as if she were reading an instruction manual, Mm -hmm. you know, "Hmm." there was absolutely no feeling. So I could tell like she's not feeling anything Mm -hmm. here. She's she's all about trying to create a sensation for me whereas the sensation that i want is to feel that she's really into this mm-hmm. again it's like who's on top who's on the bottom it yeah. gets really confusing and it you know ultimately it's a non a non question because I mean I don't know I am i don't mean to speak for all men but for me the thing that is the biggest turn on is a woman who's like totally into it oh yeah I mean to the point where she forgets I'm there mm-hmm. it's like her and the dick and I'm just like some guy who happens to be lying there you're you know, just a piece of meat I'm just attached to the dick you want to be to completely dick. objectified <laughs> <laughs> go
3: ahead
1: objectify my dick <laughs> yeah yeah um, that,
3: that, is a, that is a key thing. I mean, that's the one... I, whenever I teach my oral sex 101 classes, people are always expect, expecting, like, step one, do this, step two, right. and it doesn't work that way. Right. It, I mean, yeah, there's some technique involved, but for the most part, what's really going to work in your favor is enthusiasm right. and authentic enthusiasm, not bullshit enthusiasm. Right. So not like, this is the best. So
1: how do you do... Uh... I mean, because I've also been, I remember I was with a woman once and I was trying to talk to her about this and she said, Look, Chris, women don't like sucking dick. That's not None true. None of them do. That and is I, that, bullshit. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, I could introduce you to like 30 women who would tell you you're wrong. I love it. Love,
3: and love she was it. like, Oh,
1: they were faking it. Like, so this uh, is the issue, though,
3: because the term we're talking about is a blow job. Right. So it's a job. And so do you know where blow job but came by from?
1: By the way, I, I, yeah. uh, I've been with a lot of Spanish speaking women. Oh, what is it? Called? And one of them thought it was below job.
3: That makes sense. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. That, well, and that, I never noticed until blow. she wrote I it. I mean, because we're not blowing. I know.
1: It's I, like a below job I'm It's perfect. calling it that. I know. I still
3: want to get rid of the job part, though. I know. And it, so I, I don't know. Maybe you know better where the term blowjob came from. Do you? No. So no. I, Google told me, because my sex education uh, did not tell me this. Um, and so what it, the Google told me, which kind of makes sense. Um, that it's actually the act of blowing a load, so it's not the, not the act of oh, sucking, it's oh. blowing the load, and then the job came from sex work, so you would pay to blow your load, and so it became a blow job. Hmm. This is what Google told me. Right. I don't know. It's like the closest thing I've heard to why it would make sense. But I think this is those women that they're talking about. It's a job. They're literally like looking at, you know, while the dick's in the mouth, they're looking at their watch. Like, mm. is this over yet? Yeah. You can totally pick up on that. And the same thing. Let's talk about, you know, for those women, when someone's going down on them, if it feels like they're in a hurry and they don't want to be have their face in your box, then you're going to pick up on that. It's not going to feel good and you're going to probably try to rush it. You're going to be all in your head. Um, So I always talk about if if we can reframe it to get away from it being this thing we have to do <clears throat> and find the pleasure in it. Like, you're giving someone pleasure and find a way to make that hot. Like, I'm I'm so fucking awesome because I'm making your body wiggle and moan and your face is all red. Like, I'm a badass. I'm like a sexual ninja badass because I'm doing this to you or with you or for you. You know, for for you, you're getting off on the to you and it's just your dick and you're like you're not even there. Whatever tools... We can find and make it something so that it is a um, an act of giving that can be really hot as opposed to this like thing that I have to do every Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, well and also you can go beyond an act of giving, it can be an act of taking.
3: Exactly. Yeah, like what is what can I get for me? Some women are just
1: like I just want to suck your dick, yeah. you know, I love sucking dick and you're like, Okay, yeah. baby, great. This is yeah. I mean I love going down on a woman too. It's like I'm not doing anybody a favor. Yeah. You know? Oh
3: god I have to do this again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there are you're right about that, the job. That's yeah. such an American thing. It man. is. Yeah, it's work. It, I, like I had a waitress. This happens all the time. You know, you're you're eating, and someone will come over and say, uh, "Are you still working
3: on that?" Mm-hmm. I was like, oh,
1: fuck, working. <laughs> Really?
3: Just trying to relax here.
1: I'm trying to have my fucking lunch. I'm not working. And, you know, are you, oh, I'm going to go work out. No, you're just exercise. Everything's work. Man. Yeah,
3: it is. It's true. I didn't think about that, that we use the word work in so much of our day. No daily
1: pain, no gain. Yeah. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> American culture. We don't want to work. Yeah, so Spanish, there's no job in. I like the
3: below, but yeah, get rid of the job.
1: Yeah, below.
3: Just below. How is it? Going down under. That's the last joke.
1: Down under. <laughs> Might.
3: Uh, <laughs> I don't rephrase
1: it. No, where where the hell were we? Uh, we just were on blowjobs. I was going somewhere. Yeah, I'm distracted by blowjobs. It's what happens. Of course, of yeah. course. Am I oh, holiday? I wanted to ask you, yeah, how do you deal with women who are like, look, I don't like it? I just don't like it.
3: I would ask them why. like, And when it, whenever the, whatever the reason is, that there's going to be something beneath it. and it's like, what? Dicks are ugly. Dicks are ugly. Okay. Well, all dicks? Every dick is My ugly? My
1: husband's dick is ugly.
3: Okay. Well, um, <laughs> let's see. Maybe we should put a bow tie on it. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> maybe we can dress it up. Yeah, dress it up. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. I mean, so, okay, let's look at you. Like, do you think smile? that person really the aesthetics just because the dick is ugly you don't want to pleasure it so maybe you don't want to put your mouth on it maybe you find other things like use your hands yeah. yeah maybe you don't want it right in front of your face but there's plenty of other things that you can do right um and i mean yeah maybe blowjobs aren't for everyone and people are going to have their justifications for why but chances are beneath it there's some sort of shame or trauma or story or mm. laziness or you know there's a lot of I don't want to do the work, you know, and, yeah. and not just blowjob. I mean, this goes, I've, I've dated a number of men who didn't want to go down on me. And it wasn't a, a conversation. It was like, Hey, will you do this thing? It was just, it was cat, you know, casual dating where they just never offered. We didn't date for very long, obviously. Um, and, and I mean, it wasn't just that they just were very closed off in a number of ways that made it so we weren't compatible. And so there are there are people who have their, their things, right. But I think most people just aren't questioning it and looking beneath why. That's the thing. It's just, they just go to the, I just don't like it. So.
1: The dick should be enough.
3: The dick should be, the dick solves all the world's problems. Yeah. Or causes, I don't know.
1: <laughs> so dick pics.
3: Oh yeah, dick pics.
1: Let, let's do a public service announcement. <clears throat> Gentlemen, do not send unsolicited dick pics.
3: No, yeah, it's not. Just don't do it. Yeah. Nobody
1: wants to see your dick unless no. they want to see your dick, and if, if that's it. the case, they'll ask for it. Yeah. Exactly.
3: They'll ask for a dick pic. They'll be like, "Hey, how about that dick pic?" Yeah, uh, yeah. Although uh,
1: I sent you an unsolicited dick pic. Didn't yeah, but it was I? a big
3: dildo. He's he has a huge nine-inch black dick. <laughs> if you didn't know, everyone. <laughs> Uh, you can ask him. I'll probably send it to you no, too. I won't. No, that you was won't. for you. That it's was special. It's really good looking.
1: That was special for you.
3: Yeah, it was good. And I actually tried to send you a dick pic of um, myself as I was at a sex toy trade show, and it was this big, veiny. White glowing dick that spins around in circles. I was gonna outdick you. Oh, that's my plan. It's like you couldn't get it. That was a video. I was gonna, it was a dick off.
1: G- you didn't, didn't even off. know you
3: were in a dick off.
1: I didn't, so I just assumed I won. You did win because yeah, mine didn't if, go through. If you don't, if you don't compete, <sighs> See, you can't compete, See, it is all
3: about the big dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not really.
1: So, do you feel when you, know, you said you have a, a partner at the moment? I don't know if you're monogamous or what your situation is, but when you're with a new person, mm-hmm. Do you feel like pressure? like, oh, you like you you have to be this great lover because you're the expert? Oh,
3: because of what I do. Um no, I don't feel pressure. I feel I know that some people are definitely intimidated by me knowing what I do, and they mm. think that she must be into everything, and she's. I really, you know, really high, you know, she's in, she's kinky, poly, queer, you know, all those things. And yeah. I might be, you know, some of those things and I also might not be. And right. um, so, but I, yeah, I don't feel a lot of pressure there. Um, I do, I do feel like I have a, I have a clear understanding of what this is one thing we were talking about this in the very beginning, you know, how communication, if we should, we should open the doors for more communication so we can ask someone, you know, what is it that you like or what is it that you want? I spent a lot of my life not knowing what the fuck I liked or wanted. Like, I had no clue. In fact, that's kind of one of the reasons why I got into this industry. Right. Was this great curiosity of who am I, what do I want, what do I like, and what I was doing was relying on other people to show me. You know, like, I'm just going to you know, lay here and let you give me the orgasms and teach me what I like, and what happened was I wasn't getting a lot of them. Right. When you just rely on someone else, then Especially it doesn't... Especially
1: American men. Um. Sorry, guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry.
3: So it wasn't until the last, you know, seven years that I've been more on this sexual journey of like, an empowered journey of taking matters into my own hands, literally. Mm.
1: Um, both of them. Both
3: of them, I a dexterous.
1: Do you masturbate with both hands?
3: Um, I, I'm actually not a big hand masturbator. I'm actually not no. a big masturbator, which wow. is still, I just I just have never been a huge masturbator. Like I had a big vibrator phase for a number of years yeah. and then I went on a vibrator strike.
1: Uh, and, were you feeling numb?
3: Um, I, wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't numb. I was having. This just constant, just what the brain does, right? It's like I can get off to that in a couple of minutes, and this other thing's taking forever, so mm. I'm gonna go to that. And I was like, I want to stop doing that. So what mm. I did is I just went on a vibrator strike, and now the vibrators come out just for like fun occasions, once every blue moon. Do
1: you use one of those? Uh, someone just showed me uh, this one I'd never seen before. That's like a little suction cup.
3: It's a tiny suction or is it yeah. like the womanizer?
1: The womanizer, yeah, womanizer, yeah, yeah. yeah, the it's, womanizer, yeah. It just like sucks it the clit? It lightly
3: sucks the clit. It kind of feels like a mouth is slightly sucking. But it also has a vibrating component because it suctions, but also has like a little bit of like a uh, thing going yeah. back and forth. They're pretty powerful. I've used one once. It was cool. Yeah. I, I'm just much more... So I don't walk this earth constantly horny. I just hmm. am not... Um, it's just not what what flows through my body. I'm more of an active slash responsive sex drive, right? So it's something I create or is co-created with someone else. Mm. You know, if I'm with my partner for two weeks, we'll probably have sex every day and I'll have a really great time, but I'm creating it. I'm not like, I'm just really horny right now. Mm. That's not what's flowing through my body. Mm. Um, So I'm not constantly, you know, I don't have a regular masturbation practice because I don't have that. Just popping up for me. I might. I might do it sometimes to be like I want. Just I want to create more energy in general, and I think that through desire and arousal is a great way to do that. Right. Um, but it isn't how what's normally flowing through my body, which surprises people. They're like, "Is that because you're so jaded from talking about sex all the time?" I've actually. I, I remember being, like, a horny teenager, and then that just kind of stopped when I was out of the teenage years, mm. and it will come up, but it's just not a regular thing, and I think that's a, a big um, kind of distinction is we have this understanding that sex drive should be spontaneous, um, and it doesn't always work the way, especially in long-term relationships when mm-hmm. all that, like, newness fades, you know, and this is... Right. Um, and you know a reason why people open up relationships or they just stop having sex with their partners or they learn new ways to keep, like what I do is to create the sex drive and the arousal um, because it things fade and especially if you're an estrogen driven body you don't have a whole bunch of testosterone flashing through you that's like horny randomly I'm just walking oh I'm horny there's a cat I'm horny you know that kind of thing. Who knows? Um, have
1: you seen the movie about my thing with a cat?
3: No, you have a thing with a cat.
1: Oh yeah. Is it bestiality? I'll show it to you. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 this crazy story. The people who have heard this podcast have seen it. Okay. Google if you haven't seen it. Google nine and a half lives.
3: I heard I'd heard it mentioned, but I don't know. I think Kyle mentioned it at some point. On your we, we
1: we can watch it after this. Okay. It's it's an experience I had with a cat that I I told the story on the Joe Rogan podcast, um. and this animator decided he was going to animate it, and it's fucking hilarious. He did a really good job, and but it's like one it's one of several stories that I kind of almost wish I hadn't told. You and know, a movie. And a, <laughs> yeah. a movie, and it was in a film festival, and all this shit, and it's like posters, and like yeah. I'm okay. very
3: curious about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting. This is
3: your love, love affair with the cat?
1: Yeah, it was, it was. You've
3: always been a fan of the pussy.
1: Uh, I'm a pussy hound. It was. Um... <laughs> no, it was the first orgasm I ever provoked.
3: You provoked? In, in a cat. Oh, what? Yeah. Catgasm?
1: It was a cadcasm. What is a catcasm like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right,
3: well,
1: we're gonna we'll, have to we'll look watch into the this. movie. Yeah. 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 You you at home can watch it, you know.
3: I didn't even know about It was Mind yeah. blown.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My wife just got a lot of things. But I, I interrupted see. you. Oh, you're talking about how you're not you're like
3: yeah. horny. Yes. You yeah. Know. yeah, all the time. And so yeah. so that was my long winded story of um I don't have a hand sex practice. Oh, have you heard of OMG Yes? It's brilliant omgs it's an online program Mm -hmm. and it's changing what porn has done to the world in in the sense of porn being very penis centric slash fast and hard and not a lot of foreplay Mm and you know porn has really made it so we don't have this great understanding of what vulva is really like Mm -hmm. and uh so what it is is online program it's research-based they studied um or with it was a thousand women to ask them, what is it is that you like? How did you learn to give yourself orgasms, you know, from external stimulation? Yeah. And they narrowed it down to all these different categories. You know, there's a consistency, there's edging. You know, in consistency, one woman's like, I like to rub the upper left-hand quadrant above my clitoris. Like an oming. Same spot. Exactly. That's, that's oming. Exactly. Right. And another woman's like, that would drive me crazy. I yeah. want, I like edging. I like to build it up and then release and build it up and release. And then finally, give myself the orgasm right. the third time. And And they are realizing there's so many different um, options, modalities of the way that people are pleasuring themselves. And so they created this this program online. It's It's a website, and it has a season. So season one is all external clitoral vulva stimulation. And it's very tastefully done. It's these women, these little videos of women just telling you, this is how I like to touch myself. And then another video of them tastefully showing you, not to the point of orgasm, but they're naked. And they're like, so I go here, and I do this, and I do it like this. And some of them even have a little module where it's a close-up of their vulva where you can actually practice the strokes and it gives you feedback, oh, you know, a little great. faster, slower, softer. And it's absolutely brilliant.
1: So and you're like touching it on your mouse pad or mouse, something? On
3: your exactly. Wow. And it's teaching people who have vulvas how to maybe enhance their pleasure, try new things, or maybe they just don't understand their bodies. Right. People who are vulva fans to understand how to pleasure the vulvas. Um, and the cool thing is is that there's more seasons coming out. So at, when people buy season one, the research, the money actually goes to the research for season two, which is going to be G-spot, internal stimulation, female ejaculation. Like, finally, research saying that it's a real thing and mm-hmm. not just, like, women peeing themselves left and right. Um, and then there will also be seasons on male sexual pleasure, anal pleasure, um, trans pleasure, you know, um, pe- people who are on meds, like the, um, sex and depression.
1: Right. It's
3: just... It's just, I mean, like, in my opinion, I'm super excited about it, yes
1: O-M-G-Y-S. O-M-G-Y-S dot com.
3: And I, to me, I feel like it's changing the world.
1: Really? That's I mean, cool. I've met so, women. So that's you, like, buy life. a season. You just buy the
3: season. And right. then you buy a season, and then you have unlimited access to that season. Right. And there's all these different videos. And it's just, like, it's just teaching people in a realistic way. And, you know, we're all visual. and right. And, yeah, I know a number of people that this has, like, changed their lives. And so, again, that was my tangent on I've used i've created like some self-care practices where i've watched you know those videos and like i'm just going to try those techniques on my body and see what feels good um because i do believe even if i'm not super horny um i do believe a little bit of like erotic self-care practice keeps me embodied and feeling really vibrant so i definitely yeah, try to incorporate that it's even if tonic yeah just
1: get get some energy flowing yeah, yeah.
3: even if it's just like a little bit and um, yeah and it just fuels me
1: you ever seen a website called hysterical literature i don't think so you'd be great you, you would you would be a really great subject for it it's um it's this photographer named Clayton cubit really interesting guy uh, very cool guy but anyway it 's this project he does um and it 's a woman sitting at a table reading from her favorite book mm. with a microphone
0: mm.
1: and you know, it opens up. It's just a shot like where you are right now, you know, the, from the waist up at this table. And I, the first one I saw was a woman named Danielle. And she's reading uh, from a Tom Robbins book, uh, Even Cowgirls get the Blues, I think. Mm-hmm. And she says, this is Tom Robbins, Even Cowgirls get the Blues. She starts reading. And you can see she's getting, she starts to get a little distracted. Mm-hmm. And then, but she keeps reading. And then, you know, a little more. There's someone under the table. Ah, with wow, a, she's doing,
3: With a Is that touching. what they do for all their ah.
1: And the women eventually.
3: They have read They're like, oh, yeah. still trying to read.
1: And then you know when they come back from it, they're like, that was skinny, you know, with Tom Robbins, whatever. <laughs> so, so it's this really sort of beautiful thing because yeah. you're seeing someone have an orgasm and they're sort of struggling against it, yeah. but in a friendly way.
3: That, I think I have heard or seen an image of it or something. That's, yeah. Yeah,
1: I think there are only like maybe 13 or 14 women who have done it. But the funny thing is I was in New York, uh, this is three or four years ago. Um, and I, I gave a talk at the new school for social research and then the professor invited me out to uh, dinner with some of his favorite students, you know, grad students, and um, down at the end of the table was this woman that I like, like, man, I feel like I know her. Where have I, where have I met her? And, you know, eventually some people left, so the group got smaller, and then we were near each other, and I said, you know, I feel like I know you. Are you an actress or... A-? And she blushed, and she mm. said, have you ever heard of hysterical literature? Oh, you
3: saw her O face. That's hilarious. I, so it's like, wow, yeah. I've
1: seen you come, <laughs> and I've never seen you naked. Like, yeah. what a what a way to meet a person, that's, you know? Yeah. It's a really... She I was mean, she
3: blushed a little, too? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, she,
1: it was Danielle, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh... Yeah, and we became friends after that, but it was like, you know, I've met porn stars, mm-hmm. like I've seen them naked. I've I met Nina Hartley. I've you know met like yeah. various people that I've seen fucking. Yeah. But this was really interesting to to meet someone that I'd seen come, but I'd mm-hmm. never met. It, well, it's and weird. that's and that's
3: also, I mean, a lot a lot of porn. There are, there is orgasm happening, and a lot of times it's not it's acting, yeah. Yeah. right? So like yeah. you're actually seeing this person their most real vulnerable that's it space. it's beautiful
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really it's strangely intimate yeah yeah
3: yeah, to, yeah I'll check that out what do you think of um
1: oming we, we mentioned that oming
3: yeah i think oming is a um an awesome practice to me it's like tantra without the spiritualness of it mm. right because it's very slow and present and connected and um it's there's a sexual component to it but it doesn't mean a sexual it's not a sexual engagement but you know it's two right. people Well, let's
1: explain to people what, what, what we're is. talking okay. about yeah.
3: yeah so oming is a uh a practice um, that involves like this slow, soft. It's, it's it's fifteen minutes, right? It's like fifteen minutes in a very specific position. You set up a nest, which to me is very tantric, because tantra is all about kind of ritual. You know, like set the scene, make it a celebration or honoring. It really is honoring, and it's honoring in a way that's really deeply connected. So um, the woman, or it's the female-bodied person. So I won't call her woman. But the female body person lays in, in um, lays down a specific position, and then. Uh, the stroker so it doesn't have to be male bodied because it could be a woman who's stroking the female body person but it's always the female body person being stroked for the most part female
1: body person is that what we're saying these days I
3: mean this for this I don't know because they might not call themselves a woman I'm not sure I just know that they have a vulva so like the person being stroked has a vulva but they might not call say woman I don't know
1: Hmm.
3: I know it's confusing
1: yeah I don't know I mean I I don't know I I would think if you have a female body you'd want to be called a woman
3: Mm. I don't know. I mean feel about it. I'm just saying or the vulva owner? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> the vulva owner.
1: The V O. Yeah. The person uh-huh. with the
3: vulva is laying down and then the other person who doesn't necessarily have one is um, is now stroking I think it's upper left hand quadrant
1: so, yeah. of
3: the of the clitoris.
1: Like clockwise or Yeah, I very specific it's, it's very, stroke. Yeah. I don't know
3: the exact stroke. It's very slow. You yeah. use like a little oil there too and and it's and the stroker is just very present. All they're doing is paying attention to the stroke, staying fully present with that. And the receiver is just fully receiving and there's no goals, you know, it's 15 minutes, but in that 15 minutes, there's no goals. We're not, you know, they're not working towards orgasm. It's whatever happens in there. And what ends up happening is uh, a lot of times, it's always different, but it can be deeply healing. Uh, all of a sudden the person that's receiving, it can either be a really deep meditative state for them or they have these powerful orgasms that they didn't even know they could have because now mm. the pressure has been taken off. And, mm. The person that's giving, quite often they can actually, um, what do they call it, tumescence? That's what I think Nicole Diodon, they they essentially resonate at the same level, like the same vibration as the receiver, and um, they in in turn can feel the same thing. Mm. It is what it's been explained. So I've seen live demos of it. Um, I haven't actually experienced it myself, but it looks very tantric to me. It's Mm. just completely present and an act of honoring and 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 it can be done by anyone it doesn't have to be done between two sexual partners
1: right and it's sort of a thing where people get together at a dinner party or something totally there's like oming
3: groups where people all like have little oming parties and then there's little oming pockets all over the room and it looks like a a big tantra orgy but it's not Yeah. 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 I think I, it's a really great way for people to, like, especially if people don't have sexual partners, but they want to be able to connect in a sensual right. way because you can go and join OMing groups and go and be like, hey, do you want to home together? Doesn't mean I'm one of us to have sex with you. It's just right. so it's just homing. Right. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's helpful. Cool. But I keep asking them like, what about the cock? Is there one for the cock too?
1: Yeah. I I, I didn't want to ask. Yeah, maybe you should create that. Yeah. Yeah. What should we call it?
3: Doming? I don't know. <laughs> Something Boning? <else>.
1: Boning,
4: yeah. <laughs> I'm
3: not sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think that would get out of hand yeah. pretty quickly. Oh, <laughs> just, so I'm speak.
3: essentially just lightly rubbing.
1: Like, yeah. yeah, well, uh, edging, right? Isn't that a that's a porn thing now?
3: Edging, you know, you know, so building building up and then not giving the orgasm.
1: Well, yeah, mm-hmm. or yeah. or like, like very limited stimulation. Yeah. So like, if you're gonna it's come, a, this is all you're getting. Yeah, like a tease. See what you can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. We can just build people up. They're like, oh, I really want it even yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. And, and and edging also can lead to more powerful orgasms because right. you build it up and then you don't get it, and you build it up, and you don't get, it and then you finally get it. You just built up so much energy that it's can be more powerful. Right. It takes exactly. a, a lot of, uh, a lot of patience. A lot of discipline. Yeah. 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 Patience.
1: Uh, we've been at this for an hour I mean, and a half. This has flown by. There's so
3: much to talk about when it comes to sex. I mean, you like I talking know. about sex. Oof. I like talking about yeah,
1: sex. Yeah. One
3: thing I did talk about, can I, I promote my podcast? Please, please. My I podcast. Mean, I mean,
1: promote whatever podcast, you can promote. I want
3: promote. to promote my podcast because it's a new endeavor and um, and it's it's my baby, and I have a podcast with uh, my friend April, who's also in the sex industry. She's not a
1: porn star, everyone. what do you uh, call it the sex industry. industry? The industry. I think industry is like machines. Yes. Chum, 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 well, the chum, sex industry. Chum. She's
3: in the toy industry, so that would be like the sex toy industry. Oh. And um and so we started this podcast. It's called Shameless Sex. And we do a podcast every Tuesday, and it's similar to what you do. I mean, you're essentially getting rid of like what they call you, the shame. Shame exorcist. Shame, shame exorcist. Yeah, and yeah. um, you're doing it in all kinds of realms, right? Like you're not just doing it around sexuality. Mm. Um, you know, for us, it's that's kind of the premise. The focus is to um, promote playful shame-free conversations around sexuality so right. it's kind of like this but then it's it's april and she's like me on eight cups of coffee and she's <laughs> hilarious and it's just conversations are about sexuality and um, we hopefully we'll have you on there someday because that would be really fun like the yeah. three of us would be a wild ride that would be
1: yeah well, don't say that
3: <laughs> you're totally don't say out that <laughs> yeah um, so uh Shame yeah. The sex we're on and
1: we'll do that iTunes. like in a jacuzzi yes <gasps> yeah and we can video yeah, oh. I I did a uh, Patreon
3: people, just so you know. You yeah, that's that video. that's
1: for fifty dollars yeah. <laughs> and over contributors. I think. Yeah. Um, I did a podcast in a sauna mm-hmm. recently. That oh, was, really? That was fun, yeah. How long was it? It was eh, probably an hour.
3: You know what? That would actually. So, I have a hard time sitting in a sauna if I'm not doing anything. Like, yeah. I can still do a hot, you know, Bikram yoga class at 105 degrees because I'm moving, but sitting in a 105 degree sauna is really hard for me. Yeah. But, I, yeah, podcasting, like, that's a nice distraction from the intensity of the heat. Well,
1: they call it, it's, it's called the truth barrel cuz the sauna is the, the, the th- a barrel. Is
3: someone always doing it? Is this someone's yeah, podcast? Yeah, they do it every week. Always yeah. In the sauna? It's
1: um wow. it's uh, Neil Strauss and Gabriella Reese. The truth
3: Barrel, that's awesome.
1: Who's a Olympic volleyball oh, champ. Okay. She's married to uh, Laird Hamilton okay. the surfer, right? Yeah. So they have a house in Malibu and they uh, they record the podcast in the sauna, wow. the truth barrel. That,
3: and and was it was it extra like would you feel You're, extra you're truthful? not naked
1: but you're in swim trunks, okay. you know and uh so the, the point is you're like almost naked yeah. and so you know the heat and everything might elicit
3: tell um, us all of your secrets
1: yeah in the yeah, truth barrel yeah so i don't know i got the van i got the truth fan
3: he's got the truth fan yeah
1: so i'm gonna go uh you're gonna walk- jerk off in my van okay <laughs> uh with my new loop with my the Overloop. Overloop. yeah you're gonna yeah. like
3: it so silky it's
1: the best <laughs> so silky so silky uh, okay, so you talked about your podcast, yes, it's a podcast. It's shameless, shameless Sex.
3: Shameless Sex. You can find us at shamelesssex.com or you look up Shameless Sex on. And iTunes what about
1: people Google like who might be on the West Coast who want to attend your workshops, workshops? or, workshops or are at, fly you in, ooh,
4: fly me in for everyone. their
1: anniversary party where you're going to teach all the women to deep throat or yeah, something?
4: Yeah,
3: deep throat skills. Uh, so you you can if you're in the Bay Area, I teach workshops regularly at uh, my shop at Pure Pleasure. So um, you can find us at purepleasureshop.com. In Santa uh, Uh, in santa cruz yes and if you want to get a hold of me you can just find me through the shameless sex website and you can just email through there and it will go right through me or to not through me (laughs) it'll go right through me (laughs) to me at shamelesssex.com cool yeah all right this has been fun yeah
1: Yeah. it's been great Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast. A buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give twenty bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, Thanks to Shore Design t-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has the all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design t-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at Blanton. Com, C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear Which is called Smoke Alarm And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem While you still can Because, ladies and gentlemen You're gonna die one day Here's to you, Bennett
4: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal